Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. with a lot of time. Throws it out to the right side. Has a completed pass to Travis Hunter. And Hunter's still on his feet. Dancing around, making a gain of 17. This is 365 Sports. Powered by Sikkim365.com. Jones throws. He's got his receiver open. Badger spins. And Badger stayed on his feet and got the first down. 65 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Delora. Deep down the middle. Got his man. Cowing. Touchdown, Arizona. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Penix looks to the end zone, and it's caught. Oh, Dunze, spectacular catch. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. With a seam. He's into the red zone. He's inside the 10. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Nick's pumping takes off. Here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. And here we go on this Thursday afternoon as we roll into the first third of the month of August. This to be in August the 10th. This is 365 Sports every weekday, 3 until 6 Central. Thank you for being a part of where we are and who we are, and we appreciate that. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, I'm David Smoke. We appreciate, again, every day what we try to bring to you when it comes to mainly what is happening with college football? We'll get to that in just a moment. In fact, that's what we'll start with. The ACC, with a lot of the discussion the last couple of days when it comes to Stanford or Cal, and of course SMU uh, has been in that conversation from Ross Dellinger. This came in yesterday at a meeting Wednesday. Presidents further explored the expansion and again put up a vote. This signals or the signals that disagreement exists among the group. At least four schools are pushing back. League needs 12 votes among the 15 members. And then to follow up with that, why are they on life support? The expansion efforts follow the money. 
But there is more to it inside the expansion dilemma when it comes to the ACC. There are schools that do not want to expand. There are schools that want a different type grant of rights or they want more money or they want more freedom or they want unequal revenue sharing. But this does seem like it had momentum. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. There's nothing like a potential expansion conversation to find out the cracks that you really have uh, in your conference. And I'm just seeing this over my shoulder here that Jack is clearly done. No, he put Florida behind. <laughs> <the crowd. laughs> Took me a whole day to see that uh, right behind me. Uh, but no, I mean you can see there are are fissures in the in the ACC. I mean, I mean, it's not just FSU, although they're the biggest one. But when it comes to let's expand, one of the things about this is this is not an expansion of. It's not necessarily mutually beneficial. It's one of those things that. It's kind of thrown against the wall where Stanford and Cal need a place to go. They're big academic institutions, and you know they have all this going for them. But there's so many details past that that just don't make any sense. You know, when you talk about flying Syracuse to the Bay Area or Miami to the Bay Area, that's not even talking about the Carolinas. That's just a long way for everybody to do everything, and it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And then. You need 12 of 15. Look, if, if four schools are thinking about greener pastures and even, say, throwing SMU into this argument here, if they forego their $30 million a year and that share would go to the rest of the conference, divided among 15, that's only $2 million a year. So unless you agree to give all that money to the schools that are threatening to leave, then nobody's going to be happy. So... We've seen this happen in the Big 12. It doesn't end well. No, it, we've seen it happen in the Pac-12. It doesn't end well. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. I don't think uh, last night shuts the door by any means, though. I think that, uh, if anything, last night the report was that they were, you know, at least a vote short. Maybe it's more than that. I mean, you couldn't really tell if it was being, you know, said as though, oh, well, they're just four short or if it's four or more short. But, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot that makes sense for everybody involved. This isn't uh, a perfect situation for anybody because clearly there are some that, uh, you know, reportedly could be a Florida State, for example, that aren't in favor of this. And so if you go forward with it anyways, because as uh, Jack Swarbrick said about Notre Dame's interest in those two in particular, uh, he just doesn't see a, a world where it makes sense that two academic schools like that are left out in the cold that also play sports. That's his whole reasoning, according to him, for why Notre Dame's making the push for Cal and Stanford in the ACC is because it would just be uh, a shame that an athletic and academic institution like the two of those would not have a spot in today's college landscape. And that makes sense, but is that what Florida State wants to hear necessarily? No. When they're, you know, really just letting you know they don't care about the academics. They don't care about anything but the athletics and the money. That's what they care about. They want to play big-time football and make big-time money. And so there's clearly a very different, you know, set of opinions here and you know there's going to be a lot of politics going on. You know, try to get that swing vote or, you know, whatever the case may be as far as how the numbers line up. But, yeah, it's fascinating that you kind of got a line drawn in the sand. And, you know, if you're the ACC on the one hand, you've got to worry about yourself. But do you just say, well, sorry, guys, we got our vote and we're going to move through anyways, even if it pisses off Florida State and Clemson. And then you just further add gasoline to what's already a brewing fire. Uh, no disrespect intended given what's going on, you know, out out uh, in Hawaii right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got something that could really 
go crazy if you're not careful. So this is a, a precarious situation the ACC's in right now at listen, the moment. Listen, uh, you're exactly right. You, you, you make those who are right now the alphas, you anger them even more than you're, you're – no matter what, you're headed for what probably is a collision course anyway. Here's some thoughts in the chat room, and, Paul, if you want to follow up. David Kreitzer, nothing says Atlantic Coast like the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I, I love that. Elliot Cruz, the only way you know if something is worth it is to explore it. Don't mistake exploring for wanting to do something. And then he said it's $42 million a year, not $30 million a year. And it's The average of a TV deal gets – misunderstood sometimes like the big 12 that 31.7 that was used so much that the pac 12 was trying to desperately match or beat that's the average over the six-year contract it goes up it may not be 28 or 29 right now and then it gets up to 35 at some point but again it's the average of what the overall contract can be that's why the numbers can be a little bit messed up even if it's if it's 42 million dollars a year if they're going to forego that for seven years and divide that among 15 teams evenly uh it's still not going to get florida state and clemson there because that's only going to get like less than three million dollars uh so that's not going to get them there of what they're they're wanting they want what the SEC is getting. That's what they want. That's that's their thing. Here's the other thing I think the SEC needs to be careful with, and this is the other schools. It, what? No, I'm listening. Okay, to sorry. Uh, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame having influence in this is fine. They're a conference member, but they could also solve this problem with one fell swoop, and they're not going to. No. So Notre Dame could absolutely – is somebody going to correct me on my math? Not at all. Okay. No. What? So, Go. Is, Notre Dame could absolutely solve this problem, and they're not going to. So why let them have that kind of influence? Well, Elliot Cruz, Notre Dame trying to get two new teams in when they refuse to join themselves. What irony. Yeah, exactly. So you're telling the ACC, let these teams in for football. And they're like, oh, do you want to come in too? They're like, no, we're going to stay independent and keep all the money. Even in a Longhorn Network type situation, that might – Get the like the ball over the goal line for some of this other money. If NBC is the home of the Notre Dame home games and the Notre Dame road games, you know, go to the you know help the ACC, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, no, you can't let Notre Dame just tell you add these schools because we want them in there. Oh, we're not going to help with that. Sailgating on Lake Washington didn't used to be Big Ten country, but here we are. A lot of these quotes yeah. and a lot of. A lot of uh, great comments early on from the chat room. We appreciate your yeah, time. I know that feels foreign to you, but uh, I would imagine it'll feel pretty good if it doesn't already in time. I mean, just the, the value of security, right, and uh, the value of knowing how much money is going to be coming the Huskies' way and some of the great programs that will roll through there. I don't know how exciting Rutgers visiting. And I know they're always the punchline, but uh, that's just, I guess, our, our, our go-to. But, I mean, there's going to be some big-time football played, and, and Washington's got a seat at the table. So, yeah, very strange that that's now Big Ten country. But, um, you know, I think that's a, a great deal for Washington that that got done sooner rather than later. And, you know, that way we were able to move on to this next chapter where the ACC is suddenly front and center and, and yes, still the pack to an extent because it, it crosses over. Uh, but right now the ACC, it does feel like it's boiling up for – a, a battle of some sort. I don't know if it's going to be quite a war, but uh, there's definitely battles brewing and lines 
starting to be drawn and a lot of questions to, to answer and a lot of different agendas out there. I mean, there's Notre Dame's agenda. There's Florida State's agenda. There's Clemson's agenda. There's the ACC's agenda. There's Cal and Stanford's agenda because they're trying to get in. There's SMU basically saying we will sacrifice. We won't take anything for years and years. And, um, you know, that's that's interesting in its own right because they see that there's that one life raft basically remaining for them before – you know, potentially it all shuts down entirely. And look, um, you know, that could be the case for schools that still feel like they're in a power conference because of the way things are shaping up. But if you're SMU, you're, you're looking at it right now, and you, you know that, you know, desperation setting in. This is maybe your last chance. So it's, it's fascinating, all the different uh, mechanisms of this uh, little ACC brouhaha. Notre Dame is an ACC member, but they're not in football. Right. They don't have a vote when it comes to ACC football, but they have influence. Uh, they have influence, and that's what they're trying to do. And then if you're anybody in the ACC, even if you're anti-FSU, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, whoever, you know, a lot of times what happens, and we saw this early on in the Big 12, when certain programs were really, really, really good, you have those with influence. And the one that had influence, of course, Texas. And Oklahoma at the time was not very good when the Big 12 was formed. But you, you, you kind of have these little pockets um, of, hey, you come over to here, we'll help take care of so-and-so, and you wonder if that might happen with the ACC. Does now, Notre Dame not have a vote on this? I thought that they did. That, this is from Peanut okay. 3844-able, and I, that's what a great name. By yeah, the way. I, I just thought, and I don't recall where now at this point, uh, in all of the various like tornado of news, but uh, I thought that I'd, I don't know if it was Dellinger, I don't know. I don't want to assign it to somebody who didn't say it, but... Uh, we need some clarification on if they're voting on this because I know they're not a football member, but this isn't just a football it, decision. Here, it, it was revealed by Yahoo Sports on Wednesday that Notre Dame has a vote among ACC member schools on Stanford Cal agenda. Is not a full member. It is not a part of football, but they do have a vote. Yeah. That, that's from uh, Yahoo Sports. So there yeah, you go. I, I don't. Um, I, I, yeah, I just don't. I think that that's a slippery slope to let Notre Dame have a, a say in something that's going to affect football that doesn't affect them. And yeah, why would they do why would they why would they allow somebody who does it affect Notre Dame? It would I mean like Notre Dame plays Stanford quite a bit that's Not, a rivalry yeah, obviously yeah. but but I don't I mean as far as them telling like hey we're going to make sure that Boston College and Cal are going to play now like it's good for all the rest of you. Like, is it good enough for you? No, it's not. So it's not going to make us any more money. And Notre Dame can say all this because they're going to walk in the door at NBC and they're going to start at $75 million and whittle down to between somewhere between probably 60 and, and 70 you know, when they, when they get done. So they don't have to worry about th- themselves in football. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that, like, it, to me, it's it's kind of for Notre Dame. This is an A B conversation. They need to see their way out of it. Like vote and say yes, we'd like Stanford if all the rest of you do. But influencing and trying to push that when they're not going to help the conference make a dollar more is to me a little bit wrong. Let's also like not make them the arch villain yeah. of this entire thing. Like yeah. I, I get it's big bad Notre Dame, but I mean it could very well be as simple as like, hey, I think it's wrong that Cal and Stanford don't have landing spots in college football. I mean, and mm-hmm. and I know that there's more to it than just that because nothing's done with just the kindness of anybody's heart at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, yeah, there's some ulterior motive there, um, but it's not like Notre Dame's just behind the scenes. They've got to vote. So they want Sanford and Cal in for whatever reason that may be, uh, just to protect, you know, college and academic crossover or whatever the case. That's their opinion. I don't think they're out there going like, if you don't, we're like, now if we, you know, 
came across uh, an interview where Jack Swarbrick's demanding something happen or else they're cutting ties, that's one thing. They do have influence. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know that given all of the Florida State reaction here recently, Paul, that, you know, Notre Dame's the one that's really driving this. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. I, but I just, I think that I'm not even talking about from Florida State's perspective because uh, I'm not they, either. They I'm just clearly, saying that there's others that are clearly very much in the same, yeah. you know, uh, driver's seat as far as wanting to push this certain direction. So I think Notre Dame's yeah. looking out for its own best interest like everybody Would else. Would Stanford yeah. become a conference game, by the way? Yeah. Uh, but but that my, my point is, is I don't think you need to let the wolf in the door and let them have influence over something that they're not going to really help solve. But then the wolf says, well, then we'll go to somebody else's house. Yeah. Okay. And they can't. So I don't that's know, what there, we talked about yesterday. They, yeah. They've got all the leverage because they get, all right, well, we're out of here. We're going to play uh, our rest of our sports in no, the Big Ten. They can stay know? in the ACC, go play football somewhere else, right? Now, I don't know if the Big Ten would say, yeah. we're taking you without taking football, though. Yeah. That's where the problem would come in the, in, you know, the, the, the plan, but you know that that could always be an option. Craig Kelm, Notre Dame is positioned very well. Folks should take notes on how they are doing business. Way ahead of the knee jerk emotional thinking that is prevalent out there. Um, and, and there's a couple of others I wanted to get to as well. We'll get to that in a minute. I actually saw from a Cal fan that joined us today. We appreciate that on just frustrations with the way things are going when it comes to college football. And if I get to that, I'll try to uh, do it now. There was a tweet out there uh, from Pony Access SMU uh, site um, saying that the in-state and out-of-state rate would be affected by Cal Stanford and SMU. Currently in states, he goes on to talk about TV households and much more. Bob Thompson, Fox Sports executive, uh, former president, said there's a major problem with this calculation. You cannot use total households. You need to use paid TV households. You, uh, the, the pay TV penetration is at 59% at the end of the first quarter of 2023. So in other words, there's a lot of numbers. This is why Sam Bradshaw, uh, who's methodical and analytical literally with numbers, is so good to listen to when it comes to what and how much do, play, uh, like, for example, San Francisco, Dallas, et cetera, Houston, and places that have college football teams, but at the same time, are they the ones that draw the eyeballs um, and so you're talking about there was a thought you could you could flip 12.5 million TV households and Texas is 9 million TV households. And Bob Thompson just said, wait a minute, you cannot use total TV households. You need to use pay TV. And that's 59 percent of any of the numbers that were in that tweet from from the uh, Pony Excess. Yeah, just to be clear, that's not a site. That's just a person uh, who's an SMU fan because uh, I've seen them um, before when looking at some of the conversation about uh, the the whole ACC thing. So, yeah, I just want to clarify there. That's not like some report. That's just somebody putting out stuff. But I'm glad that Bob took the time to, uh, I guess, correct him. I get lost in the numbers. I've never been good with numbers and math. So you start talking about there's 15 million this and all that. Like I, I get very confused, but it's good to have people like him or – Jim Williams or, you know, others who chime in from time to time to kind of set the record straight on, on how all this works. Because there's a lot of just suddenly TV experts, and I don't mean that as a, a negative in any way. You mentioned Sam. Like, he's not got a TV background, but he's just found it as a hobby and has looked into it as a lot of people have during this journey. And it's made for some very interesting conversations and charts and uh, insight on things. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to, to kind of know what's what because there is a lot of just throwing stuff, and sometimes it, that we need a correction to go, all right, that's not exactly how this all works with all due respect. Chuck Cooperstein, 3.30. Today, Taylor McCargy, SPN at 4.30. We'll also have Max Olson, who wrote an article with many others in The Athletic about how all hell broke loose last week at the end of the week 
when it comes to college football realignment. Alex Rea, Alex Cowell, next, uh, Cowell logo, thank you for being a part of us today. The instability among major conferences is becoming quite exasperating, isn't it? Yeah, for especially if you're Cal Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State. And speaking of Washington State, A.D. Pat Chun yesterday, there's a century of history that has gone by the wayside because this conference has mismanaged itself at a bunch of different levels. And when you have poor leadership, one of the outcomes is failure. That's what happened. What that what has happened to the Pac-12. But it's part of the schools and the presidents of the conference too. But there's a quote, of course, well, from what happened I, on Friday. I don't think he was just limiting that to Larry Scott and George Klyovkov. No. I think that's no. a that's a pretty broad statement that a lot of people fit into. And uh, the other conferences like need to like c- consistently read the eulogy of the Pac-12 when they when they start getting too big for their britches because it is about not understanding who you are in the current moment because thinking that everything's the way it's always been or you know that and look Stanford and Cal are great examples of this they didn't worry about this because they thought well Stanford's the number three academic institution in the country and and Cal is like 18th well we've got two of the top 20 like we're going to be a benefit to anybody academically why would we ever be left out in the cold that's strong enough right and then television is telling people like yeah this isn't about your your libraries it's not it's not about that at all and they kind of just got left uh well we all thought it used to be well it's not anymore. It's not anymore. Things have changed. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is crazy. It is uh, frustrating for various fan bases. You know, for the pack, um, you know, four that are remaining. I mean, it's been probably one of the most frustrating years ever for those that care about sports. And uh, you know, I know there's a lot of lamenting from Washington State and Oregon State fans, but now seeing that from uh, some Cal and Stanford folks as well, and just the uncertainty is a killer. You're absolutely right. I hate it because uh, I've experienced it and I know what that. Uh, can be, you know, especially as the days keep on rolling off the calendar and you're wondering if there's an end in sight. I mean, that's basically how everybody felt about this packed TV deal for the last year. Uh, and then finally, boom, it was done and it worked out the way that it worked out and created, you know, partially the situation that we're in now. So, or, you know, had a lot to do with the situation that, that Cal's in right now. So, yeah, I hate it for, for you and others who just want to watch your team and watch them play their rivals and just let it be as simple as that. But, yeah, the adults have, and the money have complicated and made it something entirely different than what we like to think of it as. All right. Today in college football committee, uh, high school football commitments, the city of Duncanville, great football program. Love their coach, Reggie Samples. We do local high school football, and we saw Caden Durham at Duncanville as a freshman, and we're like, Whoa, that was uh, three seasons ago. He's a senior coming up. He committed today to LSU. But five-star defensive lineman and a megastar, and not that Durham is not Colin Simmons. We saw him when he was a young pup on a school loaded with talent today, committed to Texas. He is one of the best defensive players, if not perhaps the best defensive player in the country. So LSU and Texas dip into Duncanville, Texas, where everyone could probably just get a hotel room and recruit there every day and be in pretty good shape with their talent. Yeah, Durham's a great weapon. He'll be fantastic in that LSU offense. Um, You know, great pickup for the Tigers. I know they would have loved to have double-dipped and and pulled off the Duncanville duo. I mean, there's (laughs) – I, I don't uh, get as involved in the dramatics of these presentations as I used to. Like the whole, like I know yesterday Colin Simmons or somebody surrounding it was like, we're going to shock the world. So all of a sudden it was like, that means he's going to SMU. And it's like, 
okay, I, I just, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll use my speculation energy on the realignment side. I don't do it really as much with recruiting anymore. So, you know, I, I was wondering, like, is there going to be a big shocker? And no, there wasn't. I mean, Caden Durham goes to LSU again. Great pickup for them. Really, really good player. Uh, but Colin Simmons was the, the crown jewel of today uh, that everybody had eyes on. And not surprised that he picked Texas. I mean, they were, uh, you know, a favorite along the way. LSU, obviously. Uh, SMU to a lesser extent. And everybody in the country pretty much had offered him. I don't know what his final tally was of like 107 offers out of the possible whatever, but he, I'm sure he probably got close to, to having them all at some stage. And that's a sensational get for Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, for all the years where we've joked or cracked you know, on Texas because it eventually runs into a wall, whether it's, you know, so, you know Charlie Strong, or whether it's the end of Mac Brown, or whether it's Tom Herman, or you know what? Like, there's always been like this, like little rise and fall, and rise and fall, and they never just. In, it's been a while since they've risen and just kind of stuck there, but it feels like that's what Sark- Sarkeesian's putting together. It does between the move to the SEC, they're recruiting. Just what all of that's going to mean together. Like, I don't know. Do they get him if they're in the Big 12 for the next four well, years? They, I don't know. And I know they've recruited well. And I'm yeah. going to hear about all the – but they don't recruit as well as we all make it out to be. It's kind of like with the Big 12 pre- – they get picked every year. And then you go, well, no, they haven't actually been picked in seven years. Well, they get five stars every year. On average, more than most people. But not necessarily the type of player like Colin Simmons. As a matter of fact, it's been years since they pulled the number one player in the yep. state. But if you poll people, would they think that? No. They'd probably think they get him every single year. But that's not the case so the tides are turning uh, at least as far as the pattern has been here recently and you know you add in the influx of even more money and the separation that they'll now have the SEC tie-ins the renewal of the A&M rivalry all these connections now with the Bamas the Georgias of the world and Sarkeesian himself and what he's you know been able to put together um, you know I I totally understand I'm not all the way bought in but my opinion doesn't matter but I totally understand why Texas fans feel like no this is this is we're we're going now. Like we're 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 zooming on along now. Mac did recruiting wise two things that made them national championship contenders for the years that they were, and it was one he hit on quarterbacks, uh, two he, of them in he, particular. He, yeah, but but yeah, he, but he, he did. He had a pretty good like building up. They had a pretty consistent little go. Then they hit on the quarterback of all quarterbacks for Texas and Vince Young, and then Colt McCoy, who is as good of a college quarterback as as there ever will be because of his consistency and and what he's able to accomplish and win games. And they got big dudes. They got the best big dudes. They got. I remember the one year, and it might have been two thousand three, two or three. So by the time those guys were juniors and seniors, it went oh five. I remember reading, and they had the six of the eight best off the offensive linemen that committed all in the one class. And I went, well, they're all not going to play at the same time. And then you're like, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. It'll all work itself out. If you want you know? depth, though, that's and what then, you wanted in the defense and, and offensive line. And their line, defensive yeah. line was, was just getting guys left and right and left and right. It, it still takes the once-in-a-lifetime guy. Yeah. Because well, Alabama's won without the five-star quarterbacks, and they won – uh, well, they, they have they, they, once in a lifetime guys at every other position. No, that's right. They, <laughs> won, they won with the high three star that had five star running backs, five star wide receivers, five star yeah, offensive still, linemen, yeah, but, and five star tight ends. But Texas, yeah. it took God almost playing football in a way. Uh, that's too harsh. But um, it took that type of player, and even then, uh, God, it just it, it. He was just so damn good, and Texas Ooh. had a lot, Vince Young, and, and then of course Colt McCoy had a good run until. Uh, his season ended in that championship game with Alabama. Yeah, but well, that I mean, is a huge pickup for them. No, it's massive. I mean, that's two years in a row. You got Arch Manning, the biggest recruit maybe ever last year. I mean, we don't know what a player he's going to be, but 
we know the PR that they've gotten off that alone and will continue to get just having him on the roster. I mean, dude signed a card that's worth more having never played a college football down than most everybody watching the show will make in a year probably. You know, like he's a different level of star and we'll – you know, we've seen nothing of him on the field in burn orange other than, you know, spring game. Um, so you have a guy like that. You follow that up with a five-star number one player in Texas like Colin Simmons. And, I mean, that's back-to-back mega studs. Not to mention all the other dudes that are really good. The other – the Jonte Cooks and, you know, those – I mean, I'm I'm limiting them to just like super solar star power type guys. But that's two in a row and a bunch of other really good five- and four-star players. So I get it, you know. It's fun to, to poke at them. It's easy to poke at them sometimes because, you know, the standard they set uh, for themselves uh, and the ones that they, you know, the, the, the way that they um, kind of portray themselves sometimes, uh, it is easy to knock them because of, you know, Kansas or something along the way or whatever, but I don't care because right now they're shaping up for a final year in the Big 12 where I think they're clearing away the favorite, uh, and I think they should be, and I think that, you know, just the momentum they have now – in recruiting, the co- coaching staff seems like it's as stable as it's been since Mac Brown was there. There's not, you know, hot seat talk. There's not anything going on like that with Sarkeesian. You've got the move to the, the new league. I, I just think it's it's setting up really well for them and about as picture perfect. Now they got to go out and go win the Big Twelve this year. It's going to be a disappointment, or at least be, be if they don't play for it. In contention it, yeah. for it, anything less, I th- I do think would be a disappointment and would need some, you know, like a rash of injuries or something to have taken place. But. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's mojo in their corner, and for good reason. Chuck Cooperstein, we'll talk to Chuck about what happened on Friday. He compares August the 4th, just four or five days, six days ago, to what happened when Oklahoma won the NCAA television deal uh, with the Supreme Court, and also even SMU and the death penalty as two of the three biggest days ever. He compares Friday to that as well. Chuck Cooperstein, who does games for Westwood One and More, We'll also hear from Max Olson in that great article today in TheAthletic.com on when all hell broke loose late last week when it came to college football realignment. We appreciate your time. This is 365 Sports. Stonewood Dental Robinson, Texas. I, I got a text today. He's not in the chat, I don't think, yet. Kim Coulter. He said, man, you discuss and talk about your dental work all of the time. He had not been to the dentist in a long time. I had not been to the dentist in a long, long time. And I was scared to go back. I was afraid to go back because I just knew there was going to be a cavity, something that was going to, like, it, it didn't want to. I was scared. But Dr. Steve Childress has me in a position where when he says I need to be back for a certain day, even if it's as simple as a teeth cleaning, I'm back. If it's something else we need to work on, I'm back. If it's something I have to look forward to down the road that may not be fun, I'm going to do it. Because I have to, because I waited too long to get a lot of this stuff work. He's fantastic. His staff is incredible at Stonewood Dental. And the good thing about it is, is if you are like me, and Kim kind of admitted this, that he had not been to the dentist in a long, long time, didn't want to go back, and maybe me talking about Dr. Steve Childress, even though he lives in Arizona, convinced him to go get things checked and he's there today and i'm sure he's going to be happy about it stonewood dental like i am in robinson texas during the make this the summer event say big on a 2023 jeep grand cherokee limited with three thousand five hundred dollars plus 2.9 percent for 72 months or a 2023 jeep gladiator sport with employee pricing for all plus 1.9 percent for 72 months and an extra one thousand dollar rebate or if that's not enough get a 2023 jeep compass 10 percent off msrp that's right and no payments for 90 days on all offers find the jeep that fits you at alan samuels in waco 
You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. I say this every time we're fortunate to get Chuck Cooperstein to join us on the show. He's as knowledgeable about anything sports as anyone I've ever known, and he joins us and especially loves college football, Florida Gator. And Paul still allows me to get him on the show as an FSU guy. 
Chuck, thanks for your time with Paul Catalina, Craig, and David Smoke. I saw your Facebook post, and I'm not a big Facebook guy, but I did see your post comparing Friday to the NCAA Supreme Court ruling about television and also the death penalty. When you watched Friday unfold, what were you thinking? And thanks for your time for being a part of the show. Well, listen, uh, first, let's give Paul his due. You know, Florida State finally beat Florida. It took them a while <laughs> to do it. And, and it, took Flor- it took Florida in an emaciated state with a quarterback who couldn't complete 15 passes in a row and they only won by seven points and gave up 38 points in the process. Mm-hmm. It was you a know, rough day so- for me, yeah. But have you have your moment, Paul? Yeah. It's okay. Wow. It's okay. <laughs> I love it. But um, it, it was it was stunning. I mean, it was just uh, I, I, really indescribable. I mean, again, that feeling that I had when I was in the uh, the room in Dallas on the morning of February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven. I mean, the, at least there, like the initial shock was okay they're done for a year and then you're going through the document again and you realize for the second year they the ncaa had only approved seven home games well there's no way they were going to do that so they were really shut down for two years i mean here it it seemed it, it, it that's just one school this is the vaporization of something that has existed for over 100 years it's I, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe that the Pac-12 leadership was so inept that they allowed themselves to get to this position. And it's and it's their own damn fault. Now, look, you know, people can go and look, well, the SEC took Oklahoma and Texas and that started, you know, this latest round. Or, you know, you can go back to, you know, 2010 when the – uh, when Nebraska ultimately uh, decided to leave for the Big Ten and w- w- whatever benchmark you want to use. I mean, none of it, none, none of anything that preceded last Friday involved the, the, in, the, an institution like the Pac-12 Going ultimately going away. We've seen conferences go away. Obviously, the Southwest Conference ran uh, went away after 81 years. But that was a a you know that that was like the, um, the the patient that had inoperable cancer. You knew ultimately that was going to come. Here, I mean, th- this is basically like uh, you know a, a hurricane coming in and just blowing everything to the ground. Chuck, if you were Stanford and Cal, what would you do? Boy, what a great question. Um, if I were Stanford and Cal and I really wanted to, do, do I want to commit to playing big time football? If I want to commit to playing big time football, then I, then I would go to the ACC. But if I'm not going to be committed to doing it, and, and I don't know that Stanford is so much the issue here, but Cal clearly is and has been for years. Uh, you know, maybe you're better. Maybe you are better off dropping down a group of five. Maybe, maybe that better suits, you know, what your institutions ultimately are all about. And you know, does that affect your Olympic sports? I, I guess because you, know, you all of a sudden you're only getting about what eight million dollars a year as opposed to, you know, the the twenty million that they had uh, in the in the previous deal or what they you know might have had under 
uh, any other deal. But, I mean, some, something at this point is better than nothing. But, it, again, it does come down to football. And, and just how committed are you to the process? Uh, you know, Stanford, you know, they, obviously they've had more success lately. But Stanford doesn't want to uh, take in transfers. They don't want to deal with that. They don't want to deal with NIL. They don't want to, they don't want to deal with that. Well, if you're not going to deal with that, that's not the real world of college football in 2023. And if you're not going to be willing to deal with that, then you're probably better off dropping down. Chuck, SMU is so willing to deal with all of that that they're offering, according to various reports, to not even take really any money for several years to become a member of the ACC uh, which seems like it would only be possible given what we know now if you know Cal and Stanford were to go through. Can you just kind of describe folks who, who don't know all about just SMU, um, just sort of, uh, I guess, their their passion, also the, the, the drawbacks of they're not very big, they don't have great attendance, but the argument is, well, hey, you put us against Florida State, you put us against Clemson, we'll spend big money, we'll spend huge gobs and show up in droves. Just what are your thoughts on the ponies seeing maybe that last life raft and doing whatever they can to jump on it, and how successful do you think they could be with an invite like that? Well, again, as opposed to Stanford, SMU is committed. Now, it, you know, obviously it took them a long time to overcome the death penalty to, to make themselves football relevant again. Uh, but, it, and don't you find some sense of irony in the fact that money on top of money ultimately shut SMU down in 1987 and now money on top of money, so much money that say, you know what? We don't even need money. We don't even need money. We'll, we'll just have, do what we do. It could very well be what ultimately gets them uh, back to where they were prior to 1987. Um, but uh, you know what? I, I, I could see, uh, I could see SMU uh, doing a lot of what TCU did. And, you know, TCU bounced around. TCU went to four different leagues. Uh, before finally getting into the Big 12. And uh, and obviously they've succeeded. And I could see the same thing with SMU. There, there are two, there's too much talent in the state of Texas for SMU and TCU and, for that matter, UTSA uh, to be able to, to, to get talent that, that can compete. Uh, you know, it, it might take a while to ultimately build up the program. It took TCU a little while after they dominated the Mountain West and came to the Big 12 to sort of recruit uh, at the the Power Five level. And it might take a little bit for Rhett Lashley to do that, or you know, whoever the next, whoever the coach is going to be at SMU to do that. But uh, I, I don't see why they couldn't succeed. And it does mean everything to them because, look, you know, for a long time I always believed that SMU should have concentrated on basketball. You know, once the death penalty came and just absolutely ripped them, they should have concentrated on basketball, kind of be like the Duke of the Southwest, you know, if you will, uh, because it's a lot easier to succeed in basketball than it is in football. But again, you know, you have SMU has uh, alumni uh, and super long term alumni that, you know, always believe that uh, Kyle wrote Eric Dickerson and Doak Walker and Craig James were all going to run through that door. And, and they were never going to give up the dream of playing big-time college football. And they're going to continue to do that until they are told they cannot play big-time college football. There's no doubt that Clemson, Florida State, you know, Miami's trying to get back. North Carolina with Mac right now, among others, are really, really good. It's not as if they're not afraid to play SMU. But would they be leery? I kind of get that impression they would be leery of including SMU. 
And I'm not sure it's because they might start recruiting even better, but it, it, I, I get the impression none of those teams want SMU in the ACC. Is it almost as if why are we looking at them in the first place? I mean, I, I don't know that it is a a, a competitive issue. No, I don't think I mean, it is, I yeah. Th- I mean, the, the issue is, again, th- does SMU bring Texas to the ACC? I mean, it, it might from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, but we've already seen Florida State and Clemson, you know, for years come into Texas and cherry pick players, right? We've seen that. Miami certainly has done that as well. Uh, but if all of this is about television, which I, I think it is, then – I mean, is SMU going to move the needle? Are people in Dallas and and Fort Worth and Austin and Houston and, uh, you know, San Antonio, are they going to watch ACC football because SMU is in the ACC as opposed to watching the Longhorns and the Aggies and Texas Tech and, and Baylor and the people they've always become accustomed to watching, the people who have moved the needle uh, in college football in the state of Texas for the last 30 years or longer? Chuck, uh, the overall like college football plan seems to be let's just react to when these things happen. What do you think or when do you think that they will, as leaders, step back and go, okay, where do we want this to go? Because right now they're just a car speeding down the highway, taking exits as they need to pee. That seems like the only thing they're doing because I don't know what the plan is for what this looks like a decade from now. What does Sark say? All gas, no brakes, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> kind of what this thing is right now. It's it's hurtling out of control. Uh, somebody's got to grab control of it. You know, the NCAA obviously is not in a position to do that. Uh, I think the college football playoff, uh, the structure is in place to have them be the ones to control that and have a – a college football commissioner, if you will, whoever the head of the college football playoff is, who's going to succeed, Bill Hancock, uh, you know, be that person. I mean, there, there's got to be some type of of centralization that goes on here, uh, because right now, I mean, this is this is like the Balkans, man. This is this is Yugoslavia in 1991. I mean, I, mean, I realize there, there's consolidation on some level with with uh, the growing of the leagues, but at the at the, at the same time. It just seems like, you know, again, everybody is out for their own interest. Nobody has the common good of college football uh, involved. And, and, but I mean, it, I, I, and I say all this and then again, understand that this is as much a TV issue as it is uh, a philosophical issue among the conferences and how they want football uh, to. Uh, represent their particular universities and and conferences. I mean, this, Fox and ESPN are as responsible for all of this as as any of the conferences are themselves. So, uh, I, you know, I wish I knew ten years from now what this thing looks like. Um, I mean, I do think ultimately, I do think at some point, I, I may not be alive to see it, but I do think there's going to be a further consolidation. I, I could see a an English Premier League style college football where, again, if TV is going to control everything, that they're going to say, you know what, here are the top 32 teams. And you know what, we're going to pay for the top 32 teams to play against each other. And and I can, and I can see that happening because I, we're starting to see it 
anyway, I mean, it's taken really since 1984, right, since the Supreme Court case to get us to where we are now. But I could certainly see that coming down the road to where, again, you know, the, the English Premier League broke off, what, in the early 90s and started. And I could see something like that happen here with college football, where, again, it's it's if not the best of the best, certainly the most marketable of the universities that will allow the most money to come back to those universities. And then, you know, we'll just have another stratification of, of football and people might not like it, but I think at the very top, they'll love it. Chuck, uh, the Pac-12 obviously is on fumes with the four teams left, whatever may happen. The Big 12 has been not there, but very close to wobbling many times. Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, A&M, Texas and Oklahoma, and even before that, Texas, Oklahoma, and others in the Pac-12. How remarkable in a lot of ways is it that where they are today, even though they cannot just take, you know, oh, we're good, they have to stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, I mean, look, it, two years ago, uh, I don't think you and I would have had this conversation and looking at at uh, Big 12 stability as a hallmark of the conference right now, or Big 12 creativity as as a hallmark of the conference. But I mean, full marks to uh, Brett Yormark, uh, and frankly to the Big 12 presidents for you know for going out of the box and making a hire that uh, the, on a guy they obviously knew nothing about and a guy who had no background, certainly in, in college sports, but he knew how to promote. And that's the thing, I think, where the Pac-12 failed miserably. They went out of the box. They hired a guy from MGM uh, Events in Las Vegas to be their commissioner, but he he did not have the go-getter ads. He he took uh, as Brett Yormark took nothing for granted. He said, "Hey man, we got to go. We got to do this. And we got to do it now." And George Klyakov is a guy who basically said, "Nah, man, we're, you know we're good. We're we're good. We don't have to take the ESPN Fox bid right now when when they had their ninety day window. You know we're going to come back and we're we're going to be a forty million dollar uh, per per school entity. And we're we're going to kill it." And he just completely misread the market it just, and then basically ran it into the ground. And again, their, their presidents didn't help very much in that regard, didn't push them very hard. Uh, and they, they wound up paying a, a terrible price for it. But I mean, the fact that the big 12 was able to, to hang in there uh, when it looked like it was going to be bad. Uh, and, and I, David, I think your point uh, even more so than now, but, Back in uh, you know 2010, when it looked like Larry Scott was going to be the big man on campus and complete the Pac-16 and take six from the Big 12 and basically end things here, and that it didn't go through, uh, is is among the most remarkable uh, aspects of the last you know 15 years of college athletics uh, from an off the field standpoint that they they are still standing and frankly, I mean they're a solid number three right now. You know, I saw some. Did you have you watched the Johnny Manziel Netflix uh, documentary? I did. All right, I did. I watched it yesterday. With what was in there, and none of that surprised me at all. And we probably, you know, pretty much knew most of that. But it was great, kind of interesting to watch it. With that being said, I saw where um, I forgot who it was put out a tweet. Can we give Reggie Bush the Heisman Trophy back? Because of the documentary with Johnny Manziel, does that put that back on the table? They won't. I'm sure, but th is that something that at least is interesting to think about? You know, I've 
I mean, I've never understood why they took the Heisman away from him. Okay. I never yep, did. Me I mean, either. It was Reggie Bush in the first place. So, I mean, he should have it. So, I, I, so yes, if you want to revisit it, uh, go, go ahead and revisit. Look, it's like in, in college basketball, Louisville won the 2013 NCAA championship. There's no banner in the, in the KFC Yum Center in Louisville recognizing that fact. But you saw that game, and I saw that game, <laughs> and we know we know what happened that night. Okay, so you know they, they it, it's it's semantics in many ways. Yeah, I'm sure Reggie would love to have the actual trophy on his mantle and whatever. And if it means opening it up, then then I'm all for it because again, we we all know we all know what happened. We all know what happened in these games, and the, and the fact that Reggie, um, uh, you know at that time violated NCA rules and, and USC got caught. Um, but on the other side, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, again, you know, Johnny played the games. He was great. He was absolutely phenomenal. He deserved to win the Heisman that year and, uh, and, and let him have his Heisman. Yeah. I, the redacted wins and all that stuff has always to me been very silly uh, awards, honors and everything. Chuck. All right. So you have now August 4th, we have the death penalty in August and also the NCAA Supreme Court ruling. In order now, is it Friday and then the NCAA Supreme Court loss and then the death penalty? How would What order would you put it in? Um, I mean, I think this is the biggest day. I think August 4th because a 110-year pillar of college sports vanished went away i mean you I mean we can talk about the the pack the pack four being on life support they're dead okay there's not going to be an incarnation in 2024 of the pack whatever uh you know playing on the west coast oregon state washington state are going to go someplace and stanford and cal are going to go someplace and that and that's going to be the end of it i mean smu as huge as it was was just was one school was one was one school, and it was and it was a monster story, and just had you know, so much going on. Uh, but you know what? They'll do a thirty for thirty on this, just like they did a thirty for thirty on SMU. And then you know, as far as the Supreme Court ruling, I mean, it, it, it was certainly monumental at the time because it did change how we all watch college football. But in in any if anything, it enhanced college football. It made college football. It put college football in a position to be bigger than it was and and continually be able to grow because you were always able to watch games. Mm-hmm. But uh, just for, for the shock value, for the shock value of of, of those three, I, I think Friday might have been the biggest. Thank you, buddy. No, in fact, not that's just might. It was the biggest. Thanks for your time, Chuck. Great to have you on the show. Chuck Cooperstein does football for Westwood One. He's the voice of the Mavericks and – has been involved in broadcasting for many, many years. You agree? Yeah. I mean, it, look. is it mainly because of the historical perspective of a conference that's the Conference of Champions in 108 or nine years? Yeah. And the fact that they, I mean, they totally did this to themselves over a long period of time. I mean, like they, um, they at every chance they were given to make uh, a 20 year decision that would be beneficial for the league, they, they stepped down the wrong path. I mean, every, almost every single time that you're given two hallways to go and they were like, oh, what's in here? Smells like cookies. And then they, and then they're, oh, there's no cookies in here. Yeah. Got fooled every single time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we pretty well. Uh, it's been pretty well established now that who did what and who cost themselves what. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been hammered home now uh, for the last four or five days. Well, shoot, it's Thursday already. So last Jeez. almost week, I think uh, it's been hammered home from every direction of the country that the Pac-12 cut their own throat, so to speak. I mean, with their decision making or lack thereof. I mean, that's that's the the root of the whole story and that's what we all will come back to you know point fingers at brett yormark or point fingers at endeavor or point fingers at you know fox or whoever you want to and everybody had a hand in the end result but uh, ultimately it all started and ended with the pac-12 itself so yeah that's 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 the part of the story that is, is unchanging no matter what perspective you're looking at from chris bailey look out big 12 you were considered stable you, uh, because no other conference wanted any of your teams, now you actually do. The Big Ten and the SEC might come looking now. Chris, we, and I appreciate the, the opinion. We've had your mark on the show. We've had others from the Big 12. We've had university presidents and ADs on the show. Every one of them understand they cannot relax. They cannot say, okay, we're done. Every one of them knows they must continue to push forward to make sure they're a part of whatever the future is in college football. Look, we got a lot of people that um, are in positions like that that clearly listen to this show and and listen, I'm sure, to, to other things as well. And if they're listening, instead of just having background noise on, then they're hearing that hammered home in their head on a daily basis that the Super League is on the horizon and that the Big 12 uh, is – you know, in a situation where it's at best third um, and maybe just maybe can grab hold of third depending on how the ACC handles things. Are they going to handle it like the Pac-12 handled it or are they going to handle it, you know, in a different manner that's more conducive to everything staying together uh, with their power programs? Uh, That remains to be seen. But I think the Big 12, uh, yeah, is very well aware of they're not in some, you know, safety zone now where they're free from any of the carnage or anything else that could come up on the horizon they have to be actually uh, as cautious as ever or as on edge as ever uh, because of you know just the way things have shaped up so definitely provided them some, themselves some stability definitely in a much better spot than they've they've probably been in since their inception uh, and you know definitely a lot of work still to do and, and I think that they would be the first ones to tell you that so nobody's nobody's running a victory lap if they are it's mostly just over you know the the trash talking of the last year you know, wanting to run it up on a Utah fan who was, you know, barking about the Big 12. It's fun to dunk on that guy or gal uh, at this point. But, no, I, I don't think anybody's sleeping with anything but one eye open in college football right now if you're not in those top two conferences. When we come back, Max Olson was a part of that group effort, theathletic.com, on basically when all hell broke loose late last week when it comes to realignment. Some of his insight on that. Taylor McCarg, broadcaster, just after that, covers college and is a part of college football uh, broadcast. Craig's off the radar. Paul's top five and more. This is 365 Sports. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears! 
Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. And if you can't make it to Riverbend, DoorDash is available to bring it to you. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Do you or your kids get nervous about going to the dentist? Stonewood Dental, Dr. Steve Childress, he can help. I've spent a career taking care of patients who, as children, had bad experiences, and now they're adults that hate going to the dentist. If I get a kid at three years old, and they come every six months, and it's a happy experience, it's normal for them. Now they have an accident at six or seven or eight at school. Now they have a broken tooth or a trauma, and they have to come here. They're used to lights. They're used to water in their mouth. They're used to experience. They already trust us. It's amazing what we can do with that kid without it being a negative thing. But if I see a six or seven or eight-year-old that's never been in the dentist, and now they have a trauma or an unfortunate, unexpected toothache, it's harder to do that for that kid and it not be somewhat of a negative experience. So bottom line is I try to teach kids and adults and teenagers everybody the way I'd want my family treated, which is where it's a necessary part of life. You just take care of it. It doesn't have to be that big a deal. Learn more. Stonewood-Dental.com. Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, Warm. Welcome home. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. 365 Sports, the 4 o'clock hour. We take you up until 6 o'clock and. If you are in the McLennan County or the Central Texas area, and even outside of the county, the local CW, every weeknight at 1030, we have 365 Sports tonight. It's four segments of what we do, and it's on the CW. I had somebody today, I played a round of golf, and I played terribly, uh, who told me he had seen it for the first time about two or three weeks ago. We've been on the air with it less than a year and he loved it. And so, thanks to Josh Young and the management at KWTX, every weeknight, 1030, uh, it is the CW365 Sports Tonight and presented by Rooftop Innovations. We are now joined by national college football columnist Max Olson with TheAthletic.com. And Max, a part of that story about all hell breaking loose on Friday, August the 4th. Max, thanks for your time. 
Uh, that was juicy. Some of that had kind of been known. But my goodness, how how intriguing was going through all of that information and getting that background? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, we, we probably could write 10,000 words on what happened in, in uh, the past week and all the stuff in the Pac-12 that led up to it. So just trying to... Uh, trying to push the story forward and there's a lot to lot to compile there a lot of different sides to this story um so yeah i appreciate you mentioning it um i thought i thought our crew did a good job of putting that together and you know it's um it it, it is wild too well and there'll be a lot more um we'll, we got more of these stories in the works obviously um there's just a lot of different ways to break down what went down honestly guys that you still think about it here you know a few days later like and we're still kind of dealing with the fallout of this. Mm-hmm. That really was, I mean, wasn't that one of the more kind of dramatic and, and consequential days you can think of in terms of college athletics here recently? We just had Chuck Cooperstein on, who's been broadcasting college football forever. Mm-hmm. He called it the single most historic day in college football history because of the history, the traditions, and everything else, even more so than Oklahoma and the NCAA and the Supreme Court and or the death penalty. That's where he puts it. Oh, wow. Friday and the story in college football historical perspective. I I mean yeah, yeah. Chuck's been uh, you know he's been in the game longer than I have so I respect his take on that you know I think um, you know in the way this is heading I mean there's obviously a lot that needs to get sorted out still but you know I think probably it seems like with these four Pac-12 schools left it's kind of more about finding them a home than it is about kind of rebuilding and restarting the Pac-12 conference so yeah I mean historically if this is one of those moments where it truly is like the end of a conference. Like it's, it's uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty remarkable, but obviously, um, you know, you guys, I give you all a lot of credit. Um, you, you have really kind of, we've, we've, we've all been kind of covering this PAC 12 thing pretty seriously here for the past uh, 12 months. So in some ways with the buildup of this, if you've been paying attention, it's kind of not, not that shocking in terms of just the outcome and that it didn't, didn't go great uh, for the PAC 12, but it's still, I, I mean, it's still kind of hard to wrap your head around at the same time. Max, the, the way I think about it a lot, and, you know, outside of you know, the Big 12, like, diverting on a path and saving itself, if you started these things out and if the Pac-12 had done this, you remember the old overhead projectors where they'd, like, overlay something and you'd see, like, the differences and the similarities? If you had overlaid the first part of this for the Pac-12, it would look very similar to everything that was going on in the Big 12 over the years, and the Pac-12 somehow didn't learn from that. I think that's what surprises me the most is that they didn't look across and see where this has happened before and think it applied to them at all. Yeah, I think that's I think that's well said. And I mean, it's the, I mean, it's literally the same starting point when you when you talk about um, like the big change. It's the, it's literally the same starting point of you know your kind of your two biggest brands. Um, and, and then deciding to move on and, you know, the power that they've had over the years and then, and then, then deciding to uh, just kind of pack up and, and move on to a different league. And, and, you know, certainly just like with the big 12 pack 12 did not see that coming at all in terms of, uh, you know, being able to, to talk UCLA and USC and staying. And then from there, yeah, I mean, it, it was remarkable. I mean, you guys remember like, you know, Soon after that, you know, I think probably a week or two later, later we were all at Big 12 Media Days and, you know, meeting Brett Yormark for the first time. And, and I was talking with – I spent one of the days there at the media days talking with athletic directors pretty much the whole day. And you could just tell. I mean, it was still all very fresh in their mind. Like, they understood we have to strike and go after these Pac-12 schools because they've, they've lived through it. They've lived through the uncertainty 
of how much money are we going to make in the future? Is this thing going to stick together? Can we trust each other? Like they've gone through that whole exercise before um, in real time. And so like they understood how to act in this stuff. And certainly it felt like the Pac-12 folks um, overestimated their value and kind of underestimated the danger like at every step of the way. So we talked to Mac Rhodes the other day, and when talking about you know any further Big Twelve expansion, he let it be known like, hey, obviously you never say never, but there's just not TV yep. dollars out there. And then we had Jamie Pollard on from Iowa State yesterday, and he said, you know, as far as he's concerned and they're concerned, there's no more TV money for for any further expansion. Now, obviously, Max, that could change because something else mm-hmm. seismic could happen. And you look over on the East Coast right now, and you mentioned those remaining pack schools, and there's obviously a lot of heat and a lot of smoke about whatever's going on with the ACC. Um, how do you, you view that is, I guess, how do you kind of unpack the order of things right now? Is it all about just what happens with the Pac-4 and then we move along? Or, or how much are your eyes on this this saber rattling by Florida State and others? I know it's like kind of hard to have enough bandwidth to really deeply <laughs> follow the ACC stuff. And, and, and then we had a thing last night of, of ACC expansion and then that kind of running into the roadblocks too. So, um, I, you know, certainly that August 15th kind of deadline is kind of looms large here. I, I mean, at this point, I would be surprised if Florida State was really trying to pull out of the, the ACC at that deadline. I, I, I feel like this is more uh, going to be a story that kind of plays out over the next year. But I mean, I, you know, who, who knows? Certainly there was, um, you know, there was a, there's a period of time in the spring when they're having their, their conference meetings. And um, certainly there were members of that league that, that were aligned and trying to look at into breaking the, the grant of rights. And so, um, it, it doesn't, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like never say never on a bunch of fronts here at this point, but, um, if, if they, he's not moving forward with expansion, um, then I think, yeah, that's probably the thing that you're, you're keeping an eye on. And look, I think the big 12 in, in all my talks with people in the conference over the course of the summer, um, you know, certainly no one ever really felt like the four corner schools coming was a sure thing by any means. Sure. And I think they, they certainly felt like. Look, it, it wouldn't be the worst if, if that stuff doesn't come together. It wouldn't be the worst thing to sit back and see what happens in the ACC. And there's certainly you know members of that conference that could be a good fit and, and absolutely would would boost the, the basketball value that we always talk about too. So yeah, I think the Big Twelve would would be more likely to like kind of sit back and um, see if that turns into a mess and, and can they capitalize on it than uh, than try to pick up some of these West Coast schools. I think at this point, I really don't see them taking San Diego State, and I, it doesn't seem like there's really that interest in, in the rest of the Pac-12 schools. But I wouldn't mind covering a game there. I, it's, a, it's a beautiful city, and we've been sure. there before. I know what you mean by that. Max, has there ever been a topic in, in the time you've covered college football that has ever lingered and continued onward the way this one has with realignment? Yeah, it, and it's, it's, it, isn't it such a lightning rod? I mean, just, I mean, I, I, I know I, we, Certainly, like, we definitely get readers who are like, hey, I don't like this stuff that's going on. Like, I kind of hate it. Like, you guys are – we get it. You got to cover it a lot. But I kind of hate these things that are playing out. But, I mean, certainly nothing really, like, captures people's attention quite like this stuff and, like, all the all the moves and machinations and stuff. And I'm, I'm sure that's probably been the case for your guys' ratings, too. Like, this is just one of those topics that – and especially in this round, when it involves so many leagues right now, uh, because, you know, it's not just – power ones it's, it's the american and the mountain west trying to figure out what their next move is too um yeah i, I think it's this is one of those things that I, I i suppose we should probably always expect it um when it comes when, when these tv deals come up and stuff like that and gosh i mean I, you you wish you could say like okay this stuff will get sorted out 
and maybe this will settle down until like 2030. But I think we all probably know that's probably not the case, right? Doesn't seem to be. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of irons in the fire. You thought the, the Pac-12 would come to a resolution. We're still waiting on that, right? I mean, it's that's got to finish right. up. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely, Paul. And then the Big Ten, like, you know, we for, for months it was like, well, I mean, if they wanted Oregon and Washington, they would do it. And then, you know, literally, for, you know, for 24 hours, they change their mind and do it, right? So it's just yeah. like you're kind of on the edge of your seat all the time with this stuff when it's active. Max, and going back to the ACC and Florida State real quick, and as somebody who, uh, you know, obviously has observed that particular situation very closely, where I get confused on them is, is they've either, based on, because they've looked at everybody else being able to move conferences in an hour and go, okay, well, we can do that, have figured out some kind of, silver bullet legal strategy or this is noise until they do i yeah i I think even people within the conference are trying to figure that out like what what is the like what is gained by all this like very like public dissent um about about you know the revenue gap and these things that are obvious to everybody but that florida state is really you you know hammering not just their ad but their board um i i think that as you size it up, like I, I think it's still a matter of can they get seven or eight or whatever the necessary number is member schools to to want to move forward with trying to break this. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's a solo project. I, I, that's not really how I look at it. I guess I could be proven wrong. Maybe they they feel like there's an angle to this they've got to do. But I mean, it certainly seems like Greg Sankey is choosing his words carefully and doesn't really want the perception that there that the SEC is pursuing this. Obviously, ESPN is partnered with both of those leagues. And, and, I mean, let's be real, these moves that have been playing out over the past few years, they're, you know, I'm not going to say they're all dictated by the networks, but they, when it comes to paying for stuff, it's certainly, they're the ones that have to sign off on these things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a little confounding. It's like you certainly understand Florida State is one of those schools that, that views themselves as, you know, we are building something special here. We want to compete for national championships. We feel like if we're making this amount of money through 36, we will not be able to compete for national championships. And certainly there's schools like Clemson that, that feel like they're in that boat in that league, that, that they have that ambition and they get nervous about the money. But yeah, you know, how do you, how do you actually like pull this off? I think it's, it's sort of a, uh, I think everybody is kind of suspicious of like kind of what's going on there. Max, we uh, we discussed this earlier today. I didn't know this. It, we found this out and, and corrected it, but Notre Dame has a vote, even when it comes to football membership, although they're not a member of the ACC in football, they play that schedule. Why would they have given him that vote? <laughs> well, and then you saw the comment this morning from Jack Swarbrick, um, you know, who's one of the more respected ideas yeah. in the country. It was essentially like, I mean, I don't know, you, I guess people, you know, reasonable people can read it differently, but is he sort of saying he thinks that like Stanford and Cal is just like kind of a pity vote they need to do? Yeah, that's how I took it. Yeah, for the for the good of college academics slash for the sports. Good of, yeah, of yeah, academics and mankind. We need to add these. I mean, yeah. like, look, I understand they're they're ranked extremely highly, and and certainly we know that that is a metric that the presidents care about. Um, there's a lot of other metrics that you know that presidents and ads need to care about and do care about. But I, yeah, that that part of like Notre Dame having that much power in a league that they're not really fully committed to joining. Um, you know, in terms of from a football standpoint, um, that is that is curious, and I you wonder like when, with one foot in the door, like how much power do do they have in that room? 
I know they're about to have an AD change as well. Um, yeah, I, I was I was a little surprised by that uh, by that revelation as well. What did you think about uh, SMU and their pursuit? You know, going so far as to you know reportedly not even want any TV money for several years, uh, just for an ACC invite, knowing that hey, this is maybe the the last little you know opening of light for a program like ours yeah. to to make a leap. Um, they they obviously are going all in, Max. But what do you think about the ponies and and any possibilities there with the ACC? And, and how do you think that would work out for them? You know. The the note like this idea uh, that SMU would forego revenue um, for five plus years. Um, I, honestly, I've heard that for years. I've heard that that they they've, that that has been the offer they have made to. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure probably to Bob Bowlesby. I'm sure probably to Brett Yormark and, and like anyone who would listen. Um, that this is like the 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 this is how bold they're willing to be to to kind of you know try to buy their way into the club here and and, and you know certainly. Um, I, I think they, they just view it as like whatever it takes. We, it, it's just really important for us that we that we take that step and, and become a program that is viewed differently. So um, I, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if they if they tried to do that. I you know can, can you like can you put together the money to be competitive in those leagues without taking distributions? I think it's a very interesting question that takes you know massive commitments from people uh, over a long period of time to bridge the gap there. Um, but and, and, and then certainly it, it, there's still an adjustment. If you throw SMU to the ACC, like there's still a little bit of an adjustment for that program to, to become like really competitive in that conference. But um, I, I like I love the ambition. I certainly I, I love the like I love the like screw it. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes. You, you know, name your price. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that they would have loved to move into the Pac-12. And I bet they probably were well positioned to move into the Pac-12 if Pac-12 had stuck together and you know, who knows if they get the votes on that. But uh, yeah, certainly if you, if you feel like if you're at SMU, this is one of your last chances to try to fall off one of these moves. Max, if you had stupid money like that, would you just give it to your school so they could play in a better league? Um, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would probably, I, I, you know, and, and then, then once you get to the league, Aren't, it's like it's like when you give them out the cookie, right? Like it's like once you get into that league, then they're going to be like, "Well, we got to buy better players, right? Too, yeah. so we're going to need money for that." You know what I mean? We're going to need better facilities too to keep up with these guys. So it's just like that's a that's a lot of money, a lot of money that uh, I certainly don't envision myself earning over the course of my career. Yeah, that's the type of money where you have so much money that doesn't matter, Paul. It's that, like going well, to the gas why, station and buying a, a Snickers bar or that, something. But that's why I called it yeah. stupid money because it, it allows yeah. you to do a stupid thing. Yeah, and not even feel it. In yeah. some way. But to Max's point, yeah, like then you're you're constantly open ATM basically to, to maintain that. So yeah, it's it's very interesting dynamic, and it's just it's just crazy like how many little levers can be pulled that affect the entire stretch. You know, like we are still waiting on the pack, and then here's the ACC, and then there's still the Big Twelve looming, and we know the other two are. Lo- it's just it's crazy times for sure. I did want to ask you a non-realignment uh, related question though, Max. You covered Texas for yeah. several years. Big day for them today. A couple of uh, Duncanville players pledged. Caden Durham to LSU, great get for the Tigers. Uh, but Colin Simmons, the big five-star number one player in Texas, pledges to the Longhorns, his teammate. Uh, your thoughts on just kind of what's cooking. I, I was speaking earlier. It's easy to poke fun at Texas, you know, for various things. Um, but just, you know, reading the tea leaves and kind of seeing the way everything's setting up with the SEC and with Sark and just the stability and Arch and Colin Simmons and – it just it just feels a little bit different. Am I getting over my skis here, or, or do you sense that as well? 
No, I think I think you're right, and I think we've seen, um, like, I mean, let's just, I mean, let's call it what it is. Texas is getting some dudes. They they are winning some really big battles here in the past few past few cycles. Really, since this this staff um, under Steve Sarkeesian took over, um, you could say well, Texas has always recruited at a high level, but I think Colin Simmons is the kind of player that probably ends up at an LSU or Texas A&M or Miami or whatever um, under some you know some of the previous regimes. Like those are just really hard battles to win. I, I don't know if Texas is just there's, like there's an ad, advantage now in the NIL era that that maybe you know they they have a chance from that standpoint just from a capital standpoint to be able to really contend for the best of the best. Um, but I mean they they're building some really I mean great classes and and I think I, not to just like I'm, I'm not trolling when I say this at all. If you just go by like you know 24/7 or on three or whatever rankings you want to use, if you just go by the, those rankings like Texas is going to have a CFP caliber roster next year when we go to a 12 team playoff. Like that's just the bottom line. They're going to have like that, that is going to be the expectations here going forward as they keep signing these classes is that, yeah, you're going into the SEC. There's going to be an adjustment. It's going to be really difficult, but man, you, you've got the players, like you've got to capitalize. And so I, I do think they're going to be one of the more talented teams in the country next year. If they can kind of keep this together and keep kind of building in the right direction. And, uh, the expectations, I think, are about to take a take a really big jump, um, you know, just in time for them to go to the SEC. Max, appreciate you always. Great stuff with the article in theathletic.com on the backstory and what was going on. It was crazy uh, over a 48 to 96-hour period of time. Max Olson, theathletic.com, with us on 365 Sports, most every Thursday at about 4 o'clock. Yeah, it's just a, it's a lot to unpack, right, and – it's like no matter where you look, there's some like, well, if this falls this way, then this happens. And if it falls this way, then this happens. And it's just it, everything's kind of in, well, it's all interconnected. And mm. uh, I guess the starting point is the ACC and their vote on expansion. Mm. And then we can kind of go from there. But it was like with the Pac-12 and the Big 12, it was like everything was kind of centered around that. And then the Big Ten came in and was like, oh, we'll finish it off and slit. And, you know, then everybody moved how they moved. Um, but this now, yeah, turns to, okay, that was done. And uh, let's see what the remaining four uh, have available to them and, and whether or not that will include the uh, ACC. And then however that falls, like all of a sudden is somebody interested in, you know, is the Big 12 like, hey, Oregon State, uh, that seems far off. But you, just, you you don't know because of how it all falls. It's it's fascinating how nothing interconnected Nothing is off the table. Is. Is yeah, it? nothing's Real, off the table. I had somebody know. comment just now from our quote put yesterday from Jamie Pollard where he said, uh, that, you know, there's expansions pretty much dead in the Big 12. There's just not any TV money. And I had a bunch of people go until the TV network comes and says, hey, here's another $100 million. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, so it can, it can change on a dime. Right now, the current circumstances, yeah, they're not interested. But as soon as, you know, that team gets plucked, which leads to that team being open-minded, and, and yeah, then you make a move. And, and so it, it never stops, yeah. All right, we are live until 6 o'clock. Uh, Taylor McCarg will join us. He's with ESPN and CBS uh, also, former rights quarterback every Thursday at 4.30. And Craig's off the radar around the corner. Chris, super chat. Uh, the first one was, does TCU bring in the television numbers in the Dallas and Fort Worth market? No, they don't. It doesn't mean there's not a huge uh, – uh, it doesn't mean they're not a rabid fan base. They do struggle at times filling their stadium. No matter how good they've been, uh, they have the momentum from last year, but they're one of the schools, and there's a couple of others. At times, Baylor does have issues with their stadium attendance, and there's other schools, but no, they really don't. Uh, neither does SMU, just like Houston doesn't really do that in Houston or 
you can name Tulane and New Orleans. It's not negative. It's just true. The Dallas market is as much Texas and Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and even Baylor as it is anything else. Uh, and the Houston market is more Houston is Texas A&M, Texas, and, and, and perhaps others. Yeah, Baylor's LSU. got a good LSU. Yeah, yeah I, I, would, I would say that Dallas and Houston in particular are such gigantic cities and, you know, hubs for so much business. If you're, if you're an alum of any major, like, football school, find out where your chapter of your alumni association is going to watch the big game on Saturday. And in both those cities, your, your jaw will probably drop at how many people show up. Like, if yeah. you just went to Dallas and said, you know what, I went to – to USF, I want to see uh, if there's a local Bulls fan club here. There, you go to the bar. There might be 25 people there that yeah. all all show up to do it because it is such a massive city. So it's it's hard to get a read on that because there's such a melting pot. But when it comes to you know what it really is, Dallas and Houston and those markets are more the big gigantic schools because that's at the most people. Yeah, but they also yeah they're they're predominantly at Texas A and M or at Texas, but there's enough of a hodgepodge yeah. of other schools that are all interconnected. Uh, staying with that word, uh, because of its where its location to Waco to Lubbock to you know uh, Fort Worth etc. That that gives you a Big Twelve presence there because there's a lot of alumni from a lot of different schools there. That, I think that's that's probably the the better you know the best way to put it. So they they don't plant a flag there, but there's enough of a presence there that it's you know it's got some Big Twelve flavor both uh, Dallas and Houston. But yeah, like the Houston Cougars don't pull Houston. I don't think anybody's under that impression. The same way you'd say that about SMU or TCU. But what TCU's done is they've been good enough to where they play in big games and they're a brand now that people see them and they're like okay. I know Georgia game aside, but, you know, they'll pull good ratings because they'll play in big games against big opponents and normally contend and, and play pretty well. So, like the Michigan semi. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a, just a part of the deal is, like, yeah, you don't really claim any territory unless you're, you're Texas or A&M probably, but you have enough that have little pieces together that you get a little chunk of it. Juan, Big Jack 512, kick face. And there's someone else in there. Two Master Houston fans, you like our honesty. You always have. And, and I, I know that their stadium is going to have many more sellouts than they've had and that, that they are going to grow in stature with what's going to happen with possibly doing well in the Big 12. And, and they've already – what they've done there is great to get to this point. I've been pro-University of Houston in the Big 12 since the Texas OU story popped. We are, we, you know, we're having fun-loving back and forth with that. Yeah, um, nothing but love but for Houston, but to say that they carry the Houston market would be a lie. That, that, that would just be an absolute lie. And every one of them knows that. And that's not a that. knock. Yeah, yeah. They all know that. They're, yeah. We're having fun with all that. All good. Don't break up with me. All right, when we come back, uh, Taylor McCarg around the corner. Uh, Chris's other super chat was, if SMU has stupid money, why not go independent? Well, it's hard they to schedule. They don't have Stanford stupid money. Yeah. But they, they do have people who will write checks, and if it all works out for them, you know what? Good for them. If it doesn't, then, then they stay where they are and move forward. Well, here's another problem there is what does Stanford also have? Also have the best athletic department in the entire country mm-hmm. across the board, whereas SMU – does not. They do, I mean, they do they not. Don't. Yeah, I mean, they do yes. not. I mean, there's nothing else that stands out that's like, oh, wow, like they're great in this, um, you know, have their moments. But I, I just think it's like kind of a different ballgame there where Stanford's a director's cup number one most years and, and SMU's in a little bit of a different conversation where they haven't been just dominant in, in really one thing. But, yeah, they've they've got the big backers. That's to be sure. And it's fascinating because before the Pac-12 fizzled, I thought – 
you know, the, it, a part of the reason why I wanted to see the end result was to see if they expanded or not and to see if, in fact, SMU and San Diego State would get that invite and just what that would look like. So uh, definitely have eyes on the Mustangs with, with what's going on right now and, and very intrigued by what the ACC decides to do. Tomorrow at 325, the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference will join our show, who has become a rising type star in the business. Gloria Navarez will join us tomorrow at 325 right here on 365 Sports. This is 365 Sports, and Taylor McCarg is coming up next. Pioneer, steel and pipe. Man, think about this. Uh, 1943, there have been businesses who have come and gone. There's been, unfortunately, because of the economics or, you know, sometimes in, in, in the larger cities or even in a city like Waco that's, that's starting to blossom quite a bit, the big boy companies come in. The big box stores come in. They have a lot more product, and so they can sell it at better prices, at lower prices. And sometimes that runs the mall and Paul, and I hate to use that term, but you understand the local businesses into the ground. That's why I have such great respect for Pioneer Steel and Pipe. They have been through it all since 1943, and through all of that, because of their customer service and the product and what they've done, they now have a bigger box-type store, except they still have that local flavor where a handshake matters. They have distribution center now that is much bigger than they've ever had before, and it was always very efficient, and now they have more uh, loading docks for you, your trailer, your truck, or whatever. Pioneer Steel and Pipe, Pipe Steel and Metal, uh, a 2,500-square-foot showroom with over a 1,000 new pieces of product for you to look at and, of course, buy. They will help deliver the product. It's heavy. If you can't get it distributed to where you're going or taken to where you're going, they'll do that for you and help you unload it. Braden Embry's the one in charge of marketing. He does a great job, as do all the families. In a family-type atmosphere, Pioneer Steel and Pipe on the just east of 35 on Loop 340 at Highway 6 and PioneerBoys.com. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC an equal housing lender. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at TexasBeefHouse.com. Samantha Duvall joins us. She's the marketing director who knows all of the specials and also the events coming up. And thank you very much, as always, for your time. So all of these holidays are over. We've hit the meat of, literally, of the summer. And your thoughts about as you hit the month of August and into football season, Samantha? Football season's right around the corner, so means it's perfect time for tailgating um, the best time to grab our hamburger patties is right now through the end of july we still have our sale going on with our regular patties and our jalapeno and cheese patties 
They're $12 a package, so that's four patties to a package. It's perfect for the time for football. Gather all your family around. That way you can grill it up. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu and how they age it as well. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagney is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for. Try the sick'em sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. Did you know that one out of every four men have symptomatic low levels of testosterone and don't even know it? And if you think you're too young to worry about it, guess again. Low T levels can make you feel tired and grumpy, raise your cholesterol, and cause weight gain. Petty Clinic Low T can set up same-day blood screening and results. So if you're tired of being tired, call or go online at PettyClinicLowT.com. It's a private clinic with an atmosphere catering to men. Affordable, only $165 a month, including lab work, office consultation, testosterone injections, and follow-up visits compared to $300 or more a month in Dallas or Austin, and you don't have to drive 90 miles one way or the other and fight the traffic. Petty Clinic Low T has board-certified physician consultations and will provide the best form of brand-strength testosterone. Contact Petty Clinic Low T for increased energy, improvement in sexual desire and performance, mood, concentration, even a decrease in body and belly fat. Just off Highway 84 and Old Hewitt Drive in Woodway, PettyClinicLowT.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Taylor McCarg. ESPN, CBS broadcaster, analyst, and also former rights quarterback joins us. Love it. A segment with him on Thursdays at around 4.30. Taylor, since the last time we spoke with you on the eve of all hell breaking loose, the Big 12 has gained four more teams in one year. It feels like uh, if you let more than a day go by, then something else changes. Um Look, I think uh, this is not an original thought, right? A lot of people have said the same thing, but I'm in agreement with um, what a remarkable job the Big 12 has done where if you look back when Texas and Oklahoma, you know, made their announcement that they were leaving the Big 12, this was the conference that everybody expected to sort of dissolve, where the expectation was the ACC, the Big 10, the Pac-12, they were going to start to poach teams and the, the Big 12 would just be no more. In reality, it's really become the Pac-12 that appears to be no more. And, and the Big 12, from a competitive standpoint, it's now right there, in my opinion. We talked about this last week. It's, it's right there with the ACC. And from an entertainment standpoint, man, what I mean, we've got some really fun matchups that are going to come from this conference now. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense in some respects, especially for Arizona and Arizona State. The downside to this, obviously, is just how upsetting it is for the Pac-12. And we we talked a lot about that last week. But, man, you just have to feel for these fan bases, especially like a, a Washington State and Oregon State, where there's a lot of rich history there. They've been playing football uh, a 
against these Pac-12 teams and have these regional rivalries that, that they're going away. Um, and I think you saw the reaction across college football from fans everywhere, even from Big Ten teams and SEC teams that, po- that are you know positively impacted by the conference realignment. They were still saying, look, we, I don't think anybody really loves the trajectory of where we're going with realignment right now. Taylor, uh, can you imagine a world where Cal and Stanford and Rice are all in the same league? Rice is uh, Rice is a little bit of an outlier because you know not. To, I know your listeners probably don't want us, us to spend too much time talking about Rice football, but uh, our our the new president at Rice has taken a stance uh, similar to what the new chancellor at Vanderbilt come out and said, where they want to be better at football and, and specifically the the revenue sports, football, basketball, and baseball, where Rice has not been good for a while. So I could see a world where Rice is trying to position themselves if there's another round of realignment down the line. All that to say, it was a big step up for Rice to get out of Conference USA and get into the American. And I know they're excited about the opportunity in the American Conference. Stanford, to me, I think it would make a lot of sense if they went independent, a la a Notre Dame. I think they could absolutely pull it off. Cal is the one, to me, that... Um, Man, it just feels like, are they asleep at the wheel? You really haven't seen it's all one statement that came out that they're trying to be, you know, forward facing and they want to be out ahead of this. But I, I don't know that we've seen anything that really leads you to believe that. Um, would there be some alignment where you pull in and I'm going to grab San Diego State as well? If you grab those teams and consolidated them into the American Conference? Uh, I think there's there there certainly would be some synergy there, but is that exciting for Cal and Stanford? I mean, that's a clear step down in competition from what they've been playing against for gosh a hundred years. So um, I think all paths right now look pretty uh, pretty bleak if you're remaining four that are in the Pac-12, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. As just a college football fan, I mean. Not not really discussing the discussions because that's you know that's a part of any any fandom really. But just as a college football fan and seeing what's going on, do you like it? Are you intrigued by it, or do you kind of hate that there is tradition rivalries, whatever being thrown to the side? Yeah, I think it's both. I think um, we had our our college football seminar earlier this week with with CBS Sports, and you know we're, there, there are things that are being called out with. Uh, the Big Ten and matchups that it gets you really excited when you start to think about, you know, Oregon in a regular season playing against Michigan. I mean, I think there's a lot there that you should be excited about if you're a college football fan. And frankly, that's what these conferences are betting on is people will tune into these mega matchups that we usually only get in September if they play each other out of conference or if they play each other in a bowl game. But um, I think what you also are seeing on the other side of the coin is these regional rivalries, that's part of what makes college football so great, right? I mean, that's where, you know, take it back to the Big 12, losing Bedlam, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, that not being a conference matchup just feels so silly. And it's the same thing for Texas and A&M for the last decade. Why have those two teams not been playing one another? Um, and why in this new look SEC are they not, uh, I don't know if it's been determined yet, but the last I, I saw, that's not guaranteed that those two, those two play one another. So from that perspective, I think people are really frustrated with, the you know losing those regional rivalries but you've got to be really excited about some of these marquee matchups that we're going to get year in and year out taylor um when you look at uh, the acc and the, the madness that's happening there right now what do you think um is the future for that league 
that conference to me is what you saw the last couple of days where they're in discussions with a couple of teams from the Pac-12, also SMU, who very clearly uh, coming across almost, you could say, a little bit desperate where they're trying to get their name in the hat and they're, you know, foregoing distributions to get into the, uh, get into a Power 5 conference. I think the ACC would be wise, and it looks like this is what they're doing. I, I would be in agreement and think there's wisdom in if they just sat tight for right now. I think that is still a, a very strong conference, especially if you can retain Florida State and Clemson. That's going to be obviously the, the deciding factor with the ACC. If you can retain those two, those are your national championship quality programs that you really have to have if you want to keep your status as you know one of the top three or four conferences in the country. It'll be interesting to see you know, what do they do with UConn. Is that a team that, uh, from a basketball perspective, do you go out and try and get a UConn? Uh, from you know football, it, it doesn't really add much historically. Maybe that changes if they get into the ACC. I would say probably not, at least not in the short term. Uh, but I see in this last these last few days before realignment will get paused until next year. If I'm the ACC, I just sit tight. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to grab a couple of the West Coast teams just because. The travel, it would be different. You know, you're talking about a Washington and Oregon. Those are bigger brands. How much do you really gain from Stanford and especially Cal? Taylor, as far as on the field, you know, where the games are played. I mean, because right. we've all been doing this, though. But I think we're all itching now, knowing that it's, it's right around the corner. Camps have started up. What have been... Uh, a couple of your focuses, whether it be, you know, a particular set of players or a player or a group of t- like just kind of where has your interest level been in, in trying to wonder and figure out, you know, some things that might occur this season? You know, I don't want to sound uh, like too much of a homer because I live here in Austin, but I've been really intrigued by the lack of uh, uh, Texas gets a lot of attention every year, but Quinn Ewers not being really in any of the uh, preseason discussions for you know, Dark Horse Heisman. Um, I think that it, yesterday was the first time that I saw Vegas came out. Texas is one of their top five teams from an odds perspective to make the college football playoff just with where their schedule lines up. And to me, when you look at the, the national headlines, specifically at the quarterback position, Quinn Ewers, not really, it, does, it doesn't line up to me on where his ceiling could be. And, and make no mistake about it, if they go into Tuscaloosa and win that game and he plays well, He's at the forefront of the Heisman conversation. Sure. He's going to be right there. But it doesn't feel like we're, we're ready to have that conversation. And I honestly think it's because we've been so burned by Texas for the last 10 years that you build up this hype train and then they fall on their face. And they've got one 10-win season in the last decade. And I think that's led people to be gun-shy where they don't want to over-promise and then Texas under-delivers again. But that is a deep bench that roster, I know they lost B. John Robinson, but basically everywhere else on that team, they've gotten better. Wide receiver room's probably the best that it's been since 2009. Offensive line, certainly the most depth that they've had since 2009. And you've got a quarterback that when he was playing well and healthy last year, they, they likely win that game against Alabama if he stays in the game. And I just don't think uh, there's enough attention specific to the quarterback position right now for Texas and Quinn Ewers. Taylor, as these workouts are going on, and they started, what, about a week, almost two weeks ago, as these workouts are going on, and you have a, a quarterbacks, receivers, all the you, – you hear about installing the offense. How much of that actually goes on in August prior to when the season begins? Yeah, so you do it twice, once in spring ball, and spring ball is where you're really focusing on you. You're going in, and it's just purely 
uh, at least for the first three weeks out of the four weeks, you're not scheming your defense. You're trying to make sure that you've got the nuts and bolts of your offense down. And then you do the same thing in fall camp. And that's where you come in and you're starting from the ground up on the offensive side of the ball. You're going through your base protections, base run game, quick game, downfield passing game. And from there, as the season goes on, offenses get a little, expand on a week to week basis based on who you're playing and it's individual tags. So you build off of those base plays and those base schemes where you might have a handful of plays that on a week-to-week basis you just don't carry anymore depending on who you're playing. But you don't worry about that until you get into the season. The first three weeks of camp, but certainly the first two weeks of camp, you're focused on you. You're making sure offensive and defensive side of the ball, you know how to do exactly what your fundamentals are, whatever those building blocks of your offensive defense, you got to make sure you have those down before you get into any sort of scheming. Our rule, we really didn't start to look at who we were playing and really study tape on them until two weeks into fall camp. Those first two weeks, it's all about you. Taylor, what's your – go ahead, Greg. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you're obviously a guy who's got a great knowledge of the American Athletic Conference. They're seeing an influx of, of new teams, including, of course, your your school there in Rice, but UTSA, um, North Texas, FAU, Charlotte, UAB. Um, how excited are you for this league and um, just kind of what pops out to you? I mean, we, we're obviously big Jeff Trailer fans over here and, and love what he does with the Roadrunners, but uh, just what are your thoughts behind the, you know, the new look uh, coming into this season? Yeah, I think the American... Uh, as best they could, did a great job replacing those are solid programs, obviously, in U of H, Cincinnati, and Central Florida that left. But you added a few programs that right away are going to compete, and one specifically in UTSA that will compete at the highest level of that conference. I said earlier this week, I think they go on the road. I think they beat Houston. And I think by the end of September, depending on how they go play at Tennessee, UTSA likely is ranked by the end of the month. I think they're that talented. They've got that much depth coming back. I think one of the things people don't realize right now is just how interesting some of the head coaches are in that conference. Trent Dilfer takes over at UAB. I think there's a lot of eyeballs, at least from a regional perspective, on what does he look like? What does his program look like as a first-time college head coach? Tom Herman now at FAU. I think that's been pretty quiet. I think it's really gone under the radar that he's now in Boca Raton. And if you look at everywhere he's been prior to uh, when he you know, kind of flamed out at the end of his tenure at Texas, he recruited well and they won ball games. He was an excellent play caller at Iowa State, did great things at Ohio State, Houston, obviously. And I expect the same thing at FAU. He's going to be able to recruit. So there's other storylines in that conference um, that, are, that are interesting. And then, you know, for Rice, JT Daniels, fourth school, uh, he'll be the first quarterback to ever start three different games against one team um, with three different teams. So he, he's playing Texas opening this year, played them at West Virginia and at USC. Uh, there's a lot of other storylines that we could get into, but I think the, the conference, again, as best they possibly could, the six teams that they added, I think the American did a great job. Taylor, great stuff. Thank you very much for your time. Taylor McCarg with us, former Rice quarterback and broadcast analyst with us on 365 sports around the corner craig smoking off the radar at uh, 5 30 mickey spagnola from cowboys training camp in oxnard and paul's top five in about an hour and this is 365 sports 
Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac. They are the people that you can count on, whether it's going to buy a vehicle or whether it's getting your vehicle serviced. Uh, I did not buy my car from Richard Carr originally, uh, but once I got to town and needed some work done, uh, they were the people that I called and the people that I counted on, and I'm glad that I did because you wouldn't be able to notice that anything's different. At least I can't notice, so I know that nobody else can notice that anything's different from my car. Uh, They did a great job on it both times. I've had to take it over there, and if you're looking for an oil change, uh, you're looking to uh, just kind of see what the prices are, it's, whatever it is, they are the people that will take care of your automotive needs, whatever they may be. And so right now, they've got some great deals for those looking to buy uh, new vehicles. Uh, they will start off, though, by telling you and letting you know ahead of time. Uh, it's it's a bit crazy over on Highway 6. There's a lot of construction going on, and it's right in front of their dealership. So you have to kind of make your way over there. But Despite that construction, they will make your visit worth it because they are trying harder to get you into a new Buick GMC or Cadillac uh, and making it easier because they know it's a bit difficult to get over to them at the moment. Right now, most 23 GMC Sierra 1500s are discounted thousands off and qualified buyers can finance for 0.9% with dozens of Sierras on the lot. Those 2023 GMC Sierra 1500s and other models, Richard Carr has the inventory, the price, and the financing to get you in a new Sierra today. They've also got the number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers and the Buick. Luxury SUVs without a luxury price right now. Save $32.50 on new 2023 Buick Encore GXs. Plus, qualified buyers can get 1.9% financing and no payments until 2024. So there's a couple of the new vehicle offerings there for you. But, of course, they've also got a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks, many of them under $25,000. And they want to say yes when others say no. 100% credit approval is always their uh, philosophy. Uh, Elsewhere, their service department that I mentioned that I've uh, had interactions with on more than one occasion. Shout out to Donnie and the good folks over there. They're always standing by to keep you on the road. Service your car or truck. Uh, Again, the people that you can count on for whatever your automotive needs are. So go check them out in business for 24 years in Central Texas and having built a reputation during that time as the people that you can count on for your automotive needs. Run by proud Central Texans and proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa draft sun, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Boozers, the wedding ring store. 
Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness offers over 40 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, indoor cycling, bar, silver sneakers, and more. If you haven't been to Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness lately, you're missing out on the improvements. New flooring in the weight room floor and locker rooms, new paint and mirrors added to the weight room and group exercise room, and many new machines have been added and arriving constantly on the weight room floor. New free weights, weight machines, TRX, rowing machines, stationary bikes, new treadmills, new ellipticals on the spacious weight room floor. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Box, and welcome to Nathan Roach, where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow. A kids club included with your membership plus sauna, whirlpool, and tanning bed. 16 tennis courts plus a beautiful stadium court and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior Kenneth. Adult tennis lessons and clinics with Blake and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at WacoTennis.com or visit us at Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. This is Craig Smokes Off the Radar presented by Alliance Bank. They take pride in making banking easy. AllianceBankTexas.com. All right, welcome into Off the Radar here on 365 Sports. Uh, just segment on Tuesdays and Thursdays around 445 where we'll stop down and just go through a, a grab bag of headlines and other interesting notes uh, as they come across uh, over the you know couple of days and over, throughout the week. And uh, only been a couple of days since our last little visit here, but plenty going on, and that includes a story just released uh, over on ESPN by Adam Rittenberg, an update on the Iowa State gambling story, uh, as well as, you know, can't call it the Iowa State gambling story. It's really the state of Iowa gambling story, is it not? Uh, with yeah. both the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones uh, being involved there. Uh, but we do have, I guess, some more information starting to uh, to come out as far as, you know, what exactly has gone on. And, and while I was gone on vacation, one of the big shoes that dropped was that, uh, obviously, uh, Iowa State and uh, quarterback um, Hunter Deckers. Hunter Deckers. Gosh, I had J.J. Cole stuck in my head. He's the quarterback now. But Hunter Deckers uh, was, you know, involved, and that was obviously a pretty – Pretty severe blow for the Cyclones, losing your starting quarterback for an unknown amount of time. Well, it's gotten worse, guys, uh, in the last few minutes. Four more Iowa State players, three more players from Iowa, uh, two of them who had transferred, uh, one just remaining on the Iowa football team, uh, were all charged today in the ongoing sports wagering investigation. And the name that pops out in this story Mm. is Iowa State running back Jarrell Brock uh, was among those charged 
Former Iowa player Reggie Bracey, who now plays for Troy. Um, Adam Rittenberg, with all these reports, got into the details. He, for example, made 66 wagers while underage on sporting events, two of them on Iowa games in which he played. So that's a big no-no. Michigan and South Dakota State uh, were the other games, I guess, uh, per an affidavit that he uh, came across. Also, former uh, Iowa player Arlen Bruce IV, who now plays at Oklahoma State. Uh, he placed 11 wagers through DraftKings on games in which he participated back in 2021. Also placed eight wagers on Iowa games last season. Uh, so those are some of the details that are starting to uh, come out as far as this latest round. But Jarrell Brock, starting running back after losing Hunter Deckers for who knows how long or what. Uh, we knew talking to to the Iowa State folks like Brett Bloom and you know others that this could get a little sideways, but man, oh man, Jarrell Brock being mentioned, uh, that is a as a tough break for Matt Campbell and company. Well, yeah, we just had Jamie Pollard on the other day, and he explained it like, you know, pretty simply that, you know, it was, it's like a video game. And that, that that's the thing I think that when you look at the simplicity of this and how it can get so out of hand, that there are athletic directors around the country stocking up on the Tums and Advil Mm-hmm. And hoping that the guys who are who have done this graduate and move on before the state starts investigating those those kids because it's going to happen. Like Iowa just moved so fast on this, and the state you mean? The, yeah, yeah. The, no, I'm mean, talking the state of Iowa. The state of Iowa in, in investigating this and 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 looking at these cases moved so quickly on this particular thing that that's why it's Iowa and Iowa State in the crosshairs. But if the state of Colorado did it or the state of Washington or the state of Texas or whoever did the same thing, I have a feeling that all your state universities would have similar results as this. Yeah, yeah no, most likely. Absolutely. I'm sure there's a lot of people shaking in their boots a little bit over Absolutely. this whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, not only is, is Barack a blow to you, but – um, you're also looking at other starters. You're looking at tight end Deshaun Hanneke, defensive lineman Isaiah Lee, offensive lineman Jake Remsburg. Each have been charged in the gambling investigation according to uh, the Des Moines Register. So multiple people uh, on this story, and the Des Moines Register has done a really great job with Brock in particular. He allegedly placed wagers on four Iowa State football games using an online wagering account under a different name. Uh, two of those games... Uh, that he appeared in. He also uh, he, he wagered on two of the games that he appeared in, which included the 2022 Cyhawk game. Wow. Uh, as well as the team's matchup against Kansas State. So, according to Cyclone Fanatic, the criminal complaint, or the Day One Register, excuse me, the criminal complaint also included wagers on 13 Iowa State basketball games for uh, Jarrell Brock in particular. So, um, yeah, they came from his cell phone. They've identified that, his personal cell phone. Uh, his wagers totaled $12,050. So, I mean, you can unpack this whichever way you want, but it's a bad deal for Iowa State. And, and yeah, they are kind of like the, the them and the Hawkeyes are kind of the examples that are out there. I've got a question. Uh, there are affidavits that he's charged with. So this is a criminal investigation. Yeah, I mean that's that's and why this so is the underage betting. Is that uh, when that – so the, these guys are gone, right? I mean, they, well, he's – I, I don't know how much widely this was reported, but I'm cer- certain it was picked up on. He wasn't practicing because mm-hmm. clearly they knew that something was going on. Uh, so he had not been working out just, you know, regular during fall camp. And so that tends to lead me to believe that, 
yeah, this is this is a uh, you know pretty not uh, it's big as far as his uh, ability to play there ever again. But yeah, there's criminal charges that are that are facing these guys as well. And I don't know how all of that works. I won't pretend to. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. not good. And and honestly, the underage betting not that it's good, but that's probably the least of the worries. In that, uh, I'm sure that underage betting is going to happen a whole lot since you. You know, a lot of these places, all you have to do is put in, like, what's your birthday? Well, you know, put in whatever your birthday is. They don't even ask you for your ID. It's just put in a birthday that makes you 21. Like, you ever go to a site that sells out? Like, if I wanted to look up, oh, hey, look, I guess Balcones has a new uh, flavor out. I want to read about it before I go try it. I go to their website, and it says, are you at least 21? And I say yes. And then it either asks me to put my birthday in or just goes. So that's just their little thin disclaimer they have to and casinos maybe a lot of them have the same thing i don't know about DraftKings, which is a gigantic huge company but as they get it in more and more states it's just going to become more and more prevalent because again kids are, are it's easy for them to do and if they think they have some sort of knowledge or something they're going to think it's easy money but i got a question i think back in the day when FanDuel was a the Texas does not have gambling. Uh, no. Oh. But the online ability to go on to DraftKings or FanDuel, is that something if you live in Texas you can do? You can do daily fantasy through DraftKings and FanDuel. You cannot place a bet on a game. On a game, okay. So, right. yeah, they got through, and that initial, that's probably because uh, Jerry Jones and Mark Cuban and the sports owners have partnerships with DraftKings, mm-hmm. and they can't take that money with from DraftKings if – you can't go live around next to the stadium and play daily fantasy. So there's all that. That's why that happened. And Texas, everybody's trying to put, like, there's groups trying to pass it everywhere in all 50 states, uh, sports betting. We'll see how it, it goes along. I think it's completely legal in 13 states. It's coming in, like, 13 more. By 2025, it should be in, like, 35 states. People believe how it's tracking uh, with sports betting, and I could be wrong on those numbers, and if I am, feel free to correct me. But this is this is going to be an issue for colleges for a while because you can tell somebody and educate them all you want, but people have free will and, you know, dumbassery at the college level of like, well, I'm just going to do this. They're never going to find me. Well, this has been the easiest. Like, I promise you, because DraftKings doesn't want to be dragged through this. They need they need colleges to eventually, you know, take their money too, right? Mm-hmm. And if they want that and they want to advertise and be legitimate in college betting, they can't have college players betting on it. So they're being very forthright with this because they need their licenses and all those things to be upheld. So... This is might be the easiest uh, investigation the state of Iowa's ever done. I'm curious about this, Craig. I know you have plenty more. I wonder if they can find out how many of those 11 Iowa State basketball games that Brock allegedly, uh, apparently bet on, how much of that was information he may have gotten from the players in the Iowa State basketball team about a player that was injured or somebody coming back that perhaps wasn't out there. Well, just, I don't just, know the fact that they can peg how many he made that yeah. was on a – false cell phone that the location or whatever i mean it's it's probably something they could swing but you know obviously that would be a lot more difficult than uh just you know technology helping you out there to to make personal connections and right you know how much of a spider web that can become but regardless um you know i'm sure that's something they will look into but yeah that's horrible news for iowa state i mean four starters from last year not counting uh, what, that's just four more starters today from last year's team, including your star running back, uh, who now joins your star, star teen uh, quarterback. 
in this gambling limbo and, and Iowa too uh, with their own set of players that are uh, also affected here. So again, Iowa DB Reggie Bracey, wide receiver Arlen Bruce the fourth, and wide receiver Jack Johnson all charged with records tampering uh, and the DCI sports wagering investigation. So add that on to it's just uh, it's a lot going on there in the state of Iowa with gambling and um, you can unpack that a lot more. But you know I saw Chris Williams who uh, covers the Cyclones talk about it's you know it's staggering I think is the way that he put it of how many games that these players from both schools were uh, betting on much you know like their own games like the number of their own games they were betting on and he you know is not making excuses, but says, I wonder how much this goes on across the rest of the country. Can you imagine? Oh. There could be thousands of people across the country who are doing the same thing. Thousands of athletes, I would imagine. Maybe not thousands, but at the very least, I'd feel good in three figures that mm. there's hundreds of athletes, if not more, doing this. So, yeah, there you go. So uh, now Iowa State, check the season preview magazines. Uh, and go ahead and scratch out their two, you know, biggest name players uh, basically well, on offense. And now uh, you've got players at Troy and Oklahoma State are probably going to yes be ruled ineligible as well. Yes, exactly. Since uh, some of these guys transferred out uh, to Oklahoma State, uh, for example. So yeah, there's uh, there's more to unfold here that will affect more than just the two uh, Iowa schools. But man, what a what a story that uh, continues to be and uh, continues oh, to get unpacked here. Uh, meanwhile, follow-up, it was many, many, many months ago when first had the off-the-radar story about Henry Ruggs, former Raiders wide receiver, and the horrific uh, car crash that uh, led to a young woman's death along with her pet. Uh, just a, a really bad deal. And uh, he has since, you know, been um, out on bond and on house arrest and awaiting trial, and that trial was taking place here over the uh, last few weeks. And uh, in a hearing just yesterday, uh, he learned his sentence. He was sentenced to a minimum of three years, a maximum of 10 years in state prison, so a 3 to 10, uh, after he agreed to plead guilty to a pair of charges following the 2021 crash uh, that killed a young woman and her pet, Tina Tintor, uh, the young woman's name, RIP there. Uh, he had been driving 156 miles per hour uh, with a BAC that was twice the legal limit uh, early in the morning in Las Vegas uh, back in November of 2021. He was released later that day by the Raiders organization as obviously he had a, a lot bigger things on his plate, but he agreed to plead guilty to charges of DUI resulting in death and also vehicular manslaughter. Uh, other charges as a result of that plea deal were dropped, and he did talk uh, after you know all this was wrapping up. Uh, as all this was wrapping up uh, in court, and he said, "I sincerely apologize. I have no excuse." Uh, he gave an apology to the family uh, that was affected, um, and also uh, his own family uh, for the troubles that he's caused, as well as all of his teammates and you know various others along the way. He said that it is not a true reflection of who he is and said that uh, he has a desire to bring awareness to the dangers of drunk driving and speeding. So he had been on electronic monitoring, and now it's time to, to go to actual jail. And I saw some debate, and I, again, am not a lawyer or a doctor. Those things I don't pretend to, to know. Uh, so I saw the argument being made that he could be out in two years. Um, but then again, it's a minimum of three. But I was reading an explanation of like, yeah, but in the state, this is how... And so I don't... I'll, I'll leave that to the professionals. But he's at least going to be serving a couple years, if not a minimum of three, and then uh, hopefully uh, live in a very prosperous and, um, you know, fulfilling life after that where he can fulfill others and, and hopefully ensure that they don't make the same decision that he did. But that was a really ugly story from a couple years ago, and, and now some resolution as far as Henry Ruggs goes. You know, 
if in fact it sounds, and if he is, and I hope that he is obviously sincere, he can make a difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he, no reason he, to believe that he's not. Yeah, and, and maybe the three to ten years is based on what he can do and also how he himself rehabs and what he is once he's in uh, he's in prison. But you, you hope for him, and maybe he can end up – Sometimes things like this could end up being. It's not going to ever erase the, the the death, but that perhaps he can make a difference. And if he can, it's much better than anything he could have ever done as a wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah, he can go and be a positive contributor, and hopefully uh, prevent some others from making the same choices that he made. Um, and so, yeah, that's the hope that you have to have. And um, you know, I, I don't know how the other family feels, uh, Tina Tintor's family, but um, yeah, just an ugly story. There is some resolution. He's serving three to ten. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, obviously. Um, but, yeah, there is uh, there is an end to the legal part of the Henry Ruggs situation. Uh, elsewhere, just a couple more stories. We're talking gambling, okay? So the other day we're talking about Barstool and uh, their sports book and Penn Gaming. And it was all very confusing because it was coming hot and heavy. Like, it was, like, all of a sudden the story of the day. So, basically, Dave Portnoy bought back, like, the bar, bar, Barstool from Penn Gaming uh, and in turn, Penn Gaming partnering uh, with ESPN and ESPN Gaming will now be their platform du jour versus where it was, which was Barstool. So now Penn Gaming uh, linked up with ESPN. Uh, ESPN also recently hiring a former Barstool employee and Pat McAfee who went off to do his own thing and is, has thrived. But we just got done talking about gambling in college football and it's how it's costing players. So how is all this going to continue to kind of operate around each other? Um, well, uh, you wonder with ESPN now just going full fledged into the gambling side themselves with their own sports book, how does that affect insider reports and how does that affect kind of the way everything works? Well, ESPN says that it will prevent its various insiders, uh, Schefter, Woj, uh, folks along of that nature from appearing in gambling-related content, according to front office sports. Uh, this uh, report following, obviously, the news of just a couple of days ago. You may remember there was a report um, back in the summer when all the NBA free agency was going on with Shams uh, and how oh, like, yeah. there was a little – he was sponsored by whatever it was, J- DraftKings or whatever, and he was also kind of – moving information a certain direction and just raised a lot of eyebrows of like, this is kind of insider, like really like this shouldn't, I don't, it's not ethical basically. And so there was a lot of stink raised about that. And and so that raises questions about how ESPN would also operate with that. Um, and that story with, uh, with Shams was revolved in the order of the draft picks of, you know, Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson and how they were going to fall because obviously a lot of people were gambling on who's going to go second or, who, you know, what order are they going to go in? And he kind of threw fire on there to kind of swing things, what people felt like a certain way. But that's what ESPN says they're going to do is they're just going to, I guess, keep certain insiders off of those types of discussions. But it'll be fascinating to see. Like, I know you grew up and you saw Pete Rose, and now Vegas has got – what is about to have three of four professional sports franchises uh, amongst the big four, and it probably is only a matter of time until they have all four being NBA Summer League headquarters. Like, that's that's the last piece after the A's well, move. Well, when Seattle's going to get a team eventually. Yeah, Seattle, I think, and Vegas are probably the two biggest So they've got to yeah. balance that out, yeah. so you would think Vegas would be the other one. So they're all in, yeah. whereas that used to be taboo just in general, just the Vegas and sports, and now it's 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 all there is. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm fascinated to kind of see how this, this intertwines, especially ESPN going all in with their, their own deal there. Yeah, I still understand all that. So Penn is a company, right? I'm not trying to be naive here. Penn's a, a company, company, a gaming yep. company. 
I don't understand how they could lose $850 million by Portnoy buying them for a dollar. So what did they pay for it? Well, that's the point. That's what they paid for it, and then they sold it for a dollar. Because because he was not – they were losing money because they couldn't get licenses. Okay. So so they're going to get 50% of all revenue going forward. No. So, they only get 50% of all revenue if he sells it again. Oh, So basically, okay. he was costing them enough money where they can't – because, look, if, if they get licenses and all these states are popping up and the reason that they weren't getting licenses is because Dave Portnoy was a, the, the board chair or whatever yeah. of Barstool, if they weren't getting licenses because of him, yes, $850 million is a huge loss. But – if you can get $100 million out of nine states uh, that wouldn't yeah. give you licenses, all of a sudden then you're, you're kind of back flush again. Okay. So it's, that's what they're doing yeah. here. So they want it to survive. They want it to thrive, and then they get their money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they, they just feel like maybe they were being held back by that association. Now with ESPN, it's ESPN, so you feel like that's going to well, break and, the dam. And-, and, and Dave Portnoy, for his, he's, I've seen a, a, an interview and a couple things on his page because I was very curious what he said about it. He, he felt that Barstool was a bit held back because yes. their whole thing is the reins are off. We're going to say what we want. We're going to be relaxed. Ship, right? It's yeah. a pirate ship. And because of regulation, they don't do well in that environment. So it wasn't a good match for them. Yeah. So he, they can just add, like DraftKings can buy advertising for Barstool. And that's how they can kind of get into that, that realm or somebody like that, as opposed to Penn Gaming, who's trying to you know, use Barstool as the front of their sports book. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a lot to unpack, but uh, yeah, Penn Gaming now with uh, ESPN Portnoy back in charge of Barstool, and uh, we'll see how ESPN handles uh, just having gambling and that association all out front uh, while covering sports the way that they always have. And, I mean, this was supposed to be the gambling segment, but there was the other story that came out, and I'll start to wrap it up here. An upcoming book coming out from professional gambler Billy Walters alleges that Phil Mickelson bet more than a billion dollars on various football, basketball, and baseball games over the last 30 years. And at one point in time, according to the book, allegedly attempted to place a $400,000 wager on Team USA during the 2012 Ryder Cup, a, a team that he was on himself, so attempted to bet on, on Team USA. Uh, the book is, uh, I guess, uh, starting to have its excerpts released, and so you're getting some of the, the information, and that was obviously the big, juicy uh, tidbit there, but citing records uh, as well as two sources. He says that from 2010 to 2014, Mickelson made over 850 bets of $220,000, over 1,100 bets of at least $110,000. And uh, he speculates or estimates that uh, Mickelson lost approximately $100 million while betting a billion over the past 30 years. The only other person I know who surpassed that kind of volume is me, is what Walter wrote in the book. So more uh, Mickelson and gambling talk there. Um, and, you know, it's a new book, so you wonder, like, how salacious are you, you know, you, you kind of wonder, but I know there's also enough attached to Mickelson at this point that there's probably a lot of people that won't even uh, blink their eye at that. And you know what? That's enough for now. We can get to some other stuff later on. There's a few things off the radar. I tell you what, there's a couple of things to get to, and we will. Craig, great. That's, what, that's as deep of a bunch of stories that are biting as anything ever, including, unfortunately, what's happening with Iowa State and Iowa. And then, uh, of course, the rug story. Elias Gray, I just asked him, is he any kind of like an an attorney or something? He's very, very good. He's on the chat. Um, He was talking about all this stuff. He goes, it's legitimately considered fraud if betting is done under a false name 
So you get people with investigative power wrapped in. So this is getting deeper and deeper. My question about the Iowa State player is if the Iowa State basketball players were involved, does that include them that they were giving him any inside information? I don't know. I'm hoping not. But that that was uh, that was what I was uh, I was asking. So yeah, man, again, this is I just don't know spider web. I just don't know how you track down personal conversations. Like if a guy did give you know Jarrell Brock a heads up uh, that hey our guard is got a shaky ankle or something. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm sure there's some of that, but I, I don't know how you prove all those things. It's obviously easier with technology to prove bets being made on phones and things like that. So I don't know, but uh, a lot of gambling talk going on. Uh, in today's uh, batch of news. So there you go. A billion. Now, Phil Mickelson's a risk taker. That's why he's always been like so popular. And, and again, the last couple of years, it's been different because of live and whatever else he said. But he is a risk taker. He probably lost three to four majors because he didn't let everybody else crumble. He crumbled or he made decisions. Remember the U.S. Open, we slammed the driver deep into the rough behind a tree and all he had to do was like hit three seven irons a billion dollars i wonder how wouldn't you love to know how much he won well he uh for his part and this is the part where i strangely defend phil mickelson no uh no he he said that he's admitted to having a gambling problem he said that he's not gambled in a long time and his uh, his net worth has grown to where he's almost a billionaire now uh but he also did deny that he ever bet on the Ryder Cup, but that's not what they alleged. They alleged that he called to try to make a bet on the Ryder Cup, but he said he never would bet on the Ryder Cup, which which that is really shady if he did. I always am skeptical, like a new book coming out, and then it's yeah. like all this stuff. So that's why I say, like, mm. yeah, I mean, there's obviously, we know he bet. Like, we know that, but just a billion, like, you know, I guess read the book and find out, or we can see the excerpts later, but... It's, it's a headline nonetheless. All right, Craig, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. There's a couple of super chats to get to. We will do that after the break. We have a guest. Well, well, yeah, we have a guest at 530, 35 or so, Mickey Spagnola. Uh, we'll get to those in a minute. Uh, TexasBeefHouse.com is who we discuss now here on 365 Sports. Samantha Duvall is in charge of marketing. Uh, Aaron Duvall is who is the one I contacted, and Will Denton is the one who got us together, and we have a lot of you who view this show and watch this show who have ordered product from them. And, uh, of course, uh, we appreciate that, and so do they. They're Wagyu beef. They have a ranch just outside of Tyler in White House, and they raise it from start to finish until, of course, the product is available for you. Retired stockbroker said he ordered what is called, uh, well, he got a bunch of sirloin. And he's going to start with that. The starter grill pack. Tell Samantha thanks for the summer sausage she also included in his order. Uh, it is phenomenal. Uh, someone said the other day about the Wagyu beef and the taste. Try it. It's amazing. And I remember when I spoke to Aaron one time when I was going to grill a ribeye, he said, don't even have to two put, but you know, like maybe just a little salt and pepper. Everybody has their own way or what they or how they want their take, steak to be cooked. And also uh, the seasonings involved. But that's what I did. Just a little bit of salt and a lot of pepper. I love the cracked pepper, and it was delicious. And it could be that way for you. Samantha handles the orders. TexasBeefHouse.com has different type of uh, variety packs from hamburger patties that are regular with Wagyu beef to those with cheese and jalapeno, a little extra kick. And then, of course, the difference in ribeyes or sirloin or fillets. And, of course, you also could even get brisket, sausage, and more if that's what you want. They are the ones who have the ranch. They raise the beef. 
They cut the beef, and it's, of course, in your mouth, and it's delicious. TexasBeefHouse.com. Looking for power, performance, adventure, or luxury? We've got it all at Allen Samuels in Waco. Find amazing deals during the Make This the Summer sales event on new Ram trucks, Jeep SUVs, Chrysler sedans, minivans, or a sporty Dodge. At Allen Samuels, we're committed to taking care of our customers. And that means a large inventory on hand for you to choose from. Shop AllenSamuelsDCJ.com or come see us today at Allen Samuels in Waco. Come by. Let's be friends. Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and baker. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon wrap fillets to T-bone to bone-and ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef, and chicken fajitas, and always large briskets available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and family tradition of the Bauer family continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, open Monday through Saturday. A full-service butcher shop and bakery available. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. It takes time to reach goals. It's a truth that applies to more than sports. It goes for your financial goals as well. You work hard for your money, and you deserve an investment strategy that lines up with your game plan. And Chuck Verno, your Edward Jones financial advisor, can help. If financial investments aren't putting forth the effort you desire, stop by today for a financial review. Chuck Verno, 720 North 64th Street in Waco, 254-732-1161. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is brought to you by Edward Jones Investments and financial advisor Chuck Verno, who'll navigate you through today's financial climate. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. 
365 Sports, this 5 o'clock hour. We'll take you up until a little bit after 6 o'clock. Paul's top five around the corner. Also, Mickey Spagnolo from Oxnard, California in a second. Uh, by the way, Elias Grace said he's a journalist. His sister is involved as an attorney and is also – that's good stuff. We appreciate the insight. Man, I, you can learn a lot, and then you could also want to run for a bunker if you get inside the chat room sometime. We love that you're there. We appreciate you. Barry Crawford, Super Chat. Tell Brett Yormark I want a magnificent eight schedule, all new eight schools to play, all original eight schools on one Saturday in 2024, and then Arizona State plays West Virginia that day. Utah plays Oklahoma State. I like it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really like that. I mean, not a rivalry week concept, but kind of like an old blood versus new blood. Uh, yeah, I actually really like that. I, you know, I, I was thinking about, how they could potentially do a rivalry weekend. Um, but you can do multiple things uh, mm-hmm. to make your scheduling creative. I think that that's part of the next step is to really try to make uh, as many creative matchups as you can. I mean, that's what this whole thing revolves around, guys, is bigger games, mm-hmm. right? So I know that just simply putting two Big 12 teams together, old and new, is not going to necessarily draw ratings. But I do like that sort of idea. Same way you do Big 12 versus ACC basketball. New schools get bragging rights, or the old schools get the bragging rights. So, yeah, that's a cool concept, and uh, I maybe we can pass that along to somebody that you know that we know who would be able to maybe pass that along up higher because I, I do like that idea. Yeah, uh, I, I do. I love it. I think that especially if you opened up the first conference week with that, I think that would be especially for year one. You know, yeah. if you if you've just even if you just decided let's throw a dart at the board, let's okay. This one is, oh, boom, it's Arizona-Oklahoma State. Yeah, it's Arizona-Oklahoma State. Okay, take them off the board. Let's throw the other one. This is the dart that that, that, uh, Texas Tech is going to get. Boom, they've got UCF. Okay, let's move on and just run it through. Texas Tech would be more Arizona. No, I'm just talking about, like, even if you just, like I said, if you just dartboarded it up, I would still be happy even if the matchups weren't the ones you'd. You'd be ideal with, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I was the thinking idea, of like though. you do you do Baylor, BYU, Texas Tech, Arizona, Arizona State, West Virginia, which is all of a sudden yeah. a rivalry, um, and they they wouldn't match up perfectly, but yeah, I, I do like that idea. All right, uh, I don't know the answer to Chris's next super chat. I reached out to a couple of Oklahoma State media. Uh, does Oklahoma State still get T Boone Pickens oil money? I would think that. He probably, I mean, whoever's running his his estate, I'm sure that he probably keeps feeding Oklahoma State. Why wouldn't he, even though he's no longer around? Yeah, I'm sure he, at the very least, left them a nice chunk. You know, an an, an endowment that would always, you know, kind of grow and give and not really shrink in size. So, Okay, here we go. This thing called Google, it's amazing. And actually, it's good, Tommy, because about uh, six weeks ago, this came out from Polk's report. The final donation from Pickens Foundation brings his total gifts. Okay, so I guess a final huge donation, and this was from June 20th of 2023. Um, So I guess there was speculation about what Oklahoma State would receive from his foundation uh, after his passing. And I guess there was a final gift that will go to three different places uh, within the university and uh, that was students will re- – okay, here you go. Scholarships for students will receive $63.7 million. The new Human Performance Center that's receiving funding from the state will also, uh, I guess, house a new Cow- Cowboy Football Center will receive $25 million. 
Uh, and that facility will conduct research and help the entire state. And then the rebuilding of the Karsten Creek Golf Course, home of Oklahoma State Golf, got $31.3 million and could go up to thirty-five. So just from a quick glance, that looks like that was his bis- big last final round of official donations. But total gifts from the Pickens Foundation to Oklahoma State, $650 million. That's awesome. What a great deal. So, yeah. Yeah, you always hear I had about no idea, what, so thanks for asking that question. That's yeah, a great question. I didn't know the answer. I'm just being honest. Uh, would Phil Knight, I mean, I hope he's around for a long, long time, but what will that eventually be for not just Oregon but others that he contributes to? Um, so that last donation from him was $120 million spread out over those three projects, and it was four years after he had passed away. So they'd set that up for sure to have a, an end date but also – see it through for some other yeah. things man their uh, facilities and some people are discussing they're, they're this really too they're, nice. really nice. they're really they've nice they've got they're, a great job they're, like, that they're is Hall an intimidating fame. place to play hey. when they're still we went to Stillwater for the game where Bryce Petty tripped when Baylor was like on its way to maybe an undefeated season and it was a huge win for <laughs> Oklahoma State that turned into a blowout very quickly I didn't make that trip oh you didn't miss anything uh, it was cold as all get out, and it was a night game, and it was it got ugly quickly. But their their Hall of Fame, which I guess I don't know how new it was at that point, but in their end zone or yep. wherever that was set up within the stadium, that was very cool. I remember that sticking out from that trip in particular. But right. yeah, sorry, they're, they're, their facilities are really nice. To your point, you uh-huh. don't need to bring this up Wait, for the thirty fifth time. Two stories in to tell. Four years. One one I will just tell really quickly about the time my dad. And I met T Boone Pickens when Florida State played AM at ATT Stadium in 2014 to, to kick off the season. Um, we got in the elevator to get up to our seats, and I only knew where the press box elevator was, even though we had to walk kind of around from there. So I just walked in. I saw the guy that I knew uh, that runs the press box elevator. I said, Hey, and he said, Yeah, come on. And so we're on there, and it's me and my dad, and my, my nephew Luke, who was like seven years old at the time. And uh, my college roommate, Stacy, and then T Boone Pickens walks in and my dad and people on the chat don't know my dad, but you guys knew him, uh, goes, Hey Boone, how you doing, man? And he, <laughs> oh, tur- he turns around and he goes, Oh, Hey, good to see you. And they're like, he immediately gets this feeling like he knows my dad, but can't remember his name. And he's like, I didn't know you were a Florida state fan. And, and like they had this little conversation. Dad's like, how are the kids? He's like, Oh, they're doing great. 20 great. What are how many grandkids? Like it's wild at Christmas and all these like, Oh, good to see you. And he gets off the elevator and Stacy goes, who was that? And he goes, T-Bone Pickens. He goes, you know T-Bone Pickens? Oh, hell no. I don't know. No, but Pete, Pete, Pete Catalina was somebody that if you met him, you felt like you were his best friend for life. So yeah. I still think about that when I think about T-Bone Pickens is that he made him feel like, oh, crap, I can't remember yeah. this guy's name, and he's a Florida State fan. But anyway. That's why T-Bone Pickens was also who he was. Yeah. You know? Make That's everybody right. feel like, he, yeah. He was very friendly, and he was great. Um, and But we, I didn't get to go to that game. We only had two credentials uh, for it because. We had know, done a high school playoff game. Yeah. Go ahead, and, and so I had to drive Smokey's car home because we drove up together, and I got a flat tire on uh, I-30 going back just outside of Fort Worth. And uh, where was the jack, Smokey? You know, I had like three of them. Jennifer had it. <laughs> so, oh, that's right, because she had had a tire issue. Yeah. So I had to wait on the side of the road, and then uh, the tow truck driver took me to a very shady neighborhood, but they got a tire fixed and put on your car Really fast for eight dollars. Uh, so you didn't lose any time. No, it, it wasn't. <laughs> Craig and I that same day started cold. the trek towards Stillwater, Oklahoma, because 
Baylor was playing Oklahoma State in a night game, as Greg mentioned. Bobby B said I was in the students. Was Bobby B say he was in the student section for that game? It was uh, a big game. In I the mean, background, it was. That's another yeah. OSU first down. So we drove, and it was dicey. And then we spent the night, I think, in Oklahoma City or outside of Norman, whatever it was, and came back the next day. But it was a, a nightmare for Baylor, who was – they were really good, and they like 45-17, whatever the score might have been. All right, when we come back, uh, thank you, Chris, and thank you again, uh, Barry, for the Super Chats. We appreciate that. This is 365 Sports and Mickey Spagnola is next. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. Marco's Pizza, the fastest growing pizza brand in the company in the country. And five of them out of nowhere are now in the Waco area, thanks to Bob Mock, the owner who's been in the pizza business for a long, long time. I've always had a fondness for the pizza business, not just because it tastes good, but I once delivered pizzas back when I was a senior in high school and for a couple of years during the summer to make some money. So I really enjoy and understand kind of how it's I guess built, but it's changed a lot because it was pizza. Now you have so much you could order on the menu online, pick up delivery, however you do it. Marcos.com online has all sorts of specials and discounts based on code words. But bottom line now is it's not just pizza, the salads, sandwiches, wings that have become a part of it. People love chicken wings, and Marco's has those too. Plus the soft drinks, you could have that. Marco's Pizza, five locations in Waco, the fastest-growing pizza chain in America. Five locations here, and you can find yours at marcos.com. In our logo and advertising, we say we are people that you can count on. What does that mean? It starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price. But it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovi. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help is finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses. But when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one size fits all strategy. Cam Heathcott, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why we take the time to understand your needs. Knowing you, that's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Cam Heathcott in Conroe at 936-756-7717. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At 
Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. Sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. This is 365 Sports. It's time for our weekly segment with Mickey Spagnola of DallasCowboys.com. Prescott fires. Oh, lamb! Touchdown! Brought to you by the First National Bank of Central Texas with five locations to serve you. Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com. Always a lifelong friend, but we're not happy. He's an Oxnard, and temperatures, of course, are always beautiful there. And he's watching Cowboys training camp and practice and joins us on 365 Sports. Mickey, thanks for your time. I saw where a player had been carted off earlier today. Uh, I didn't know. I'm not even sure if there's any kind of update. They've been fortunate with a couple of scares, but w- anything on that? Uh, Chuma Doga, the uh, fifth-year offensive lineman that they kind of brought in as insurance to, at guard, tackle. Uh, I don't know how important he is to the roster, but it looked like he suffered uh, at this point uh, hyperextended uh, knee, so maybe not as bad as it appeared when he was carted off. But really, it was the first sort of uh, injury uh, other than undrafted free agent wide receiver uh, David Durden suffering a concussion that they've uh, suffered so far in training camp. You know, the usual nicks and bruises, hamstrings and calves. Uh, but other than that, it's been much, pretty much a smooth uh, training camp with the exception of uh, Zach Martin still not being here. Mickey, who uh, in tomorrow's night game are you looking forward to seeing most in game action well it'll probably be a bunch of guys you don't even know are on mm-hmm. the roster right uh yeah we can start with the kicker right brandon aubrey uh that's the obvious one um you know this is going to be his first opportunity uh to kick in a live nfl game uh former soccer player uh at plano at notre dame in the msl mls uh, and kind of converted to uh, kicking a football and spent the last two years with the Birmingham Stallions in the USFL and was pretty good. Uh, so after releasing 
uh, Tristan Vizcaino uh, on Monday. Um, he's the he's the one that's standing right now, and they're looking for a kicker. And uh, he's been pretty good this week. Made 26 of 29 attempts in the three practices. So I'll be interested to see how he handles kicking in, uh, you know, in a big NFL stadium against NFL competition and how he handles the pressure knowing that, you know, just because he's the only kicker here, he's kicking against anybody else that might be available, uh, as John Fossil says, on this earth. So uh, be interested to see how he handles it. Uh, be interested to see how the young running backs behind Tony Pollard uh, perform. Uh, Rico Dotto, Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn, uh, Hunter Lepke. Uh, those guys are going to get a lot, a lot of uh, touches, snaps uh, in in the game. So uh, I don't know if they can keep three running backs, four running backs, three running backs, and a full a fullback. We'll see how that works out. So these games are awfully important uh, for guys like that, for guys like Josh Ball in his third year. Uh, he's been filling in with the first team at right guard in place of Martin. Uh, would like to see uh, some of these young guys, their sixth-round draft choice, Eric Scott, cornerback from Southern Mississippi, uh, how he does against another team. Uh, there are just so many young guys uh, that have flashed. Now, can you do it in games? Uh, they've got a seventh-round draft choice, Jalen Brooks, wide receiver, South Carolina. Uh, he has flashed repeatedly uh, in training camp. Uh, and now, okay, but now they're going to hit you when you're trying to catch a football. I'll see how he does. Same with this tight end, another undrafted guy, John Stevens out of Louisiana. Um, you know, he, he has flashed and, uh, he was in college a wide receiver. The Cowboys are converting him to tight end. And, uh, Mike McCarthy just said of him, uh, today that he's starting to pick up the blocking part of a tight end. He can run. He's big. Uh, be interested to see how, how he performs. So yeah, there's just a lot of these guys that are kind of on the fringe of making the 53 man roster. Uh, that this will be their first uh, opportunity to prove they belong. Mickey, there are three preseason games. There's one coming up this week. I've always, you know, I forget that at times. It used to be the four, and my God, there were five. So how does the, uh, I don't know if it's the protocol, but the scheduling of finding out who can play, but also those who need some reps just because they need reps and, and the protection of injuries, so you got to be careful with that too. Yeah, absolutely. So in this first game, uh, taken from what Mike McCarthy has said so far, it's going to be a bunch of youngins out there. They're not going to play many, if any, of their starters. If today's uh, the end of practice today, uh, they sort of went through uh, with their helmets off, some kind of game situations. And judging from who was out there and who wasn't, uh, it looks like we're going to see uh, a lot of Greer at quarterback. I mentioned the, the, the running backs, uh, the young wide receivers. Uh, I don't think you're going to see anything from CeeDee Lamb, um, you know, Brandon Cooks or Michael Gallup, uh, but you should see a lot of, of, of Tolbert, Jalen Tolbert. Uh, they've been working 
Cavante uh, Turpin uh, at wide receiver, Simi Pihoko. I mentioned Brooks. Uh, you'll see a lot of guys like that. And then you're going to see uh, some depth, see if they have depth on the offensive line. Uh, although Tyler Smith was taking some of these reps, so he may be in there, Ball may be in there. And then they're looking for backup tackles and backup uh, guards. Uh, defensively, uh, I, I don't think you're going to see the, the names that you're used to seeing on the Cowboys defense. So it'll be young guys. You're going to see first-round draft choice Mozzie Smith. They need to get him some snaps. Uh, he needs to get in a little bit better shape. Uh, but you should probably see him out there. Uh, you know, and then you'll see the Jabril Coxes, uh, the Overshones, um, guys like that. I mentioned Scott. There's other safeties that they're looking at, uh, defensive ends, young defensive ends. Uh, I think you'll see some Sam Williams out there, too. Uh, Dante Fowler's been working with that group a little bit, even though he's a veteran. But mostly uh, guys that are kind of, you know, trying to uh, earn a job as a backup, a depth guy uh, on this roster. Mickey, uh, you mentioned Jalen Tolbert a second ago, and he was very raw, um, to say the least, Um last year and, and you know making the jump from South Alabama to the NFL is a, a big one for anybody but the Cowboys really liked him uh in, enough to draft him in the third round what have you seen differently from watching him just practice and I know that's not the same thing but practice to practice year one versus year two yeah he's one of those guys that when they get the end of training camp and they list the guys that make that big jump from year one to year two he'll be on it uh he's had uh, very good training camp practices. He's, he's running routes with more confidence. I think he has better clarity of what they're asking of him uh, on those routes. And, and even today, he had two really circus catches. Uh, so he has uh, really uh, kind of got his hand up in the air. It's like, okay, we know who the first three are. And he's trying to say, well, I can be the fourth one and for sure the fifth wide receiver uh, on this team, if you're going to count Turpin uh, as a wide receiver. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he's had a really, really good training camp. Mickey, we haven't been to camp in a while, I guess since COVID. That was the first time in a long, long time. And, and then also mainly our focus, of course, with what we do with college football. Um, I heard that there was an obstruction to the – condos or the homes or the apartments or whatever that was behind one of the and i i just happened to see i knew that that was going up is it like the cowboys built a side of a stadium uh, as blocking the view for those who have houses or, or whatever there okay so you know where the houses are and they yep. built like a 10-foot wall yep. brick, uh, brick wall there well what they did think think pga golf tournaments where they try to have these big structures around the green. They're high, you know, high-rise type things with platforms. That's what they built along. Uh, it, it blocks the view of about four uh, of the homes, and the, those homeowners were very upset. Uh, I don't know. It, it's temporary. It's not going to be there forever, and they were acting like this was going to ruin the value of their house. Well, I found out with a few of them, here's what was going to ruin value. They were renting their homes out as VRBOs during the month of training camp. 
and people would buy them so they could see and they advertise, you get to watch training camp, right? Well, when this structure came up, it has uh, like a canvas backing and then a top on it. Uh, and the, 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 the platform, the highest platforms, even with that 10 foot wall. So by the time the thing goes up and has a roof on it, uh, yeah, they can't see out the windows of their homes anymore for training camp. Now, it's my understanding the Cowboys have been and are offering them VIP passes if they want to uh, free uh, to come and, you know, sit in that structure if they so want. So the city approved it, uh, you know, and, and then they built the structure. Then the city kind of got cold feet because the, the homeowners were threatening a suit. Uh, but from our standpoint, David, it's a pretty nice structure to stand uh, along the line of scrimmage and see all of the practice. Uh, and I'm sure no one took us into consideration, but it sure helps. And safer, too, that you're not standing on the ground along the sideline while they're scrimmaging. Yeah, get the address for me, Mickey. That's the place I'm going to rent the next time I'm there. Just not because I can see training camp, but because parking is such a pain in the butt yeah. that uh, it'd be worth it just to rent that place and walk over. Well, uh, yeah, if they, if they included a VIP pass for you, uh, that <laughs> certainly, that certainly would help you out. Yeah. Mickey, thank you, buddy. We're jealous. Okay. Thank you very much, Mickey Spagnola, Oxnar, just a little bit north of LA and, uh, where the Cowboys training camp continues. They play Jacksonville this week, the first of three preseason games. And that season's just around the corner. When we come back, Paul Catalina. Top five. This is 365 Sports. Don Schumanor and Coffee Beans. I mentioned this, and somebody sent me a note asking me to say this again. My brother Robert has been through a lot. And so when I was down there back at the end of July, I had gone by Don Schumanor to get some cigars because that's what we did a lot of on my brother's incredible view on the balcony on the east coast of Florida. We smoke a ton of cigars. And had, we, had, we just enjoyed it. But he was having one of those bad days, and there was a pouch of gummies that Cheyenne had given me when I went in there to buy cigars for the trip, and she said, give these to him, THC. And I, I know that, like, I have Vita Dreams that I take one of those gummies at night that allow me to kind of just chill a little bit to get myself where I don't toss and turn and fall asleep. She said, give these to him. The name of the gummies is called For Bad Days, and my brother's got a lot of stuff going on in his body. I gave him that bag, that the gummies, and one day he was struggling a little bit with his lower back pain, and he took one. And about two hours later, he told me, he goes, I, I feel fantastic. He's not high. He's not like numb, but he just feels good. It got rid of the pain that he deals with on an everyday basis. And the other day I was on the phone with him. He was talking about how much when he talked to his doctor, the doctor says, no, that's a great option for you. So it's cigars. Yes, a 48-foot walk-in humidor with all the great brands from Ashton to Macanudo to Rocky Patel and much more. But also where you could find Vita Dreams if you struggle at night falling asleep, and also for bad days, which is a THC product. Don Chumador and Coffee Beans, Cheyenne, Ashley, and Carol in the Townwood Shopping Center, right there between Richland Drive and Valley Mills in Waco. The future's bright, the time is now. College is what you make it. It's a late night pizza run, and all nighters coding a new project. It's having big dreams and making them a reality. It's a professor who knows your name and your story. It's preparation for your future, your calling, your life. And at Baylor, it's even more. 
where lights shine bright. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears! Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at TexasBeefHouse.com. Samantha Duvall joins us. She's the marketing director who knows all of the specials and also the events coming up. And thank you very much, as always, for your time. So all of these holidays are over. We've hit the meat of, literally, of the summer. And your thoughts about as you hit the month of August and into football season, Samantha? Football season's right around the corner, so- means it's perfect time for tailgating and um, the best time to grab our hamburger patties is right now through the end of july we still have our sale going on with our regular patties and our jalapeno and cheese patties they're 12 dollars a package so that's four patties to a package it's perfect for the time for football gather all your family around that way you can grill it up where's the best beef in texas your house when you order from texas beef house unleash the flavor of texas raised wagyu and how they age it as well from our pasture to your plate texasbeefhouse.com there are 26 letters in the alphabet over 600,000 words in the dictionary and just three of them said together can change everything let's order pizza those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on marco's pizza that'll blow your mind so visit marcos.com to order and stop by marco's pizza in Bellmead, china spring woodway and in robinson marco's pizza lovers get it it's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5 Brought to you by Texas Beef House Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu From our pasture to your plate TexasBeefHouse.com so before we get started, just got a text uh, earlier today from my friend Ace Wigley at Unite Private Networks who set us up with our fantastic internet here saying, hey, can I share your contact info with a potential client that we have that's asking about customers that we have and their satisfaction? I said, absolutely. Share my number with whoever you want to because we are thrilled with our service from Unite Private Networks. If you're a business and you are losing, if you have internet problems, we, we were at a place one time where the internet got knocked, literally knocked out of the ground by a truck, and it was never the same afterwards. And if you've had to do that, lost internet connectivity is lost money in your business. So if you're looking for the best-in-class private fiber networks for your business, Unite Private Networks, go to UnitePrivateNetworks.com. I will sing their praises. They have changed what we do here in a fundamental way that if you're not in even the business, I cannot describe in less than like 30 paragraphs. It was 
so fantastic. It has been so great. We had so many problems before with our previous provider. We have zero. And if you have a single one with Unite Private Networks, they get it done in 20 minutes. It's fantastic. UnitePrivateNetworks.com or call ACE 254-803-7070. And the top five. Top five roadblocks to ACC expansion. As I see it, um, just from the outside looking in. Number five, SMU does not get the East Coast excited. Now, I can tell you that I I actually kind of like the idea of SMU in there. Uh, maybe selfishly, if Florida State winds up staying in that conference, that they might come to Dallas and play a game every now and again. But again, that's maybe kind of a pipe dream too. But I just think that when you take SMU to some of these schools in the East Coast, it just does not get them excited. It does not bring them the money that they think. And even with SMU saying, we'll give back all the money for five years uh, or set to seven years, just doesn't move the needle for them as much in improving what they want distribution-wise in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, idea of getting into Texas, so to speak, is great. Um, I think getting new territory is great for the ACC, but, you know, is is adding them enough to offset all of the other complaints about the money gap and things like that? I just – I don't know that they're that exciting, no. Um, I don't think this suddenly makes FSU go, oh, wow, like $3 million more for the next seven years and – now we go to Texas maybe every other year. Sweet. I, I just I don't think that, that solves the dilemma that they're currently facing. It might help put a Band-Aid on it, but I don't know. This just seems to run a lot deeper than magically adding three teams and everybody's going to be all good after yeah. that. I, don't, I just don't, I don't buy that at this point. Yeah, and this is becoming the roller coaster, isn't yep. it? Mm-hmm. Like one day there seems to be momentum, and then there might even be more momentum, and the next day you wake up or you go to bed right before there's a story that – there are roadblocks, and then who knows where it is today. And the big difference is there's a very lengthy contract behind all this with hundreds of millions of dollars, and so it's different in that there's not a you know a player that's got a – well, I guess there is technically with the Pac-12-4. There's mm-hmm. still a player that's got a TV deal coming up, and so, I mean, they need to know just to know what their next step needs mm-hmm. to be. Like, do we need to start going and wooing the Mountain West? Or Not that they'd have to woo, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I – I, I don't know. I think there's some exciting elements about SMU, but it just, again, it doesn't answer all the the major questions that need to be answered. Yep. Number four, Stanford and Cal don't add football value. And I put an asterisk here. Just, I don't want to hear about the history of them. I I appreciate it. They both have some pretty good history, particularly Stanford, but they have good history. But it's not about that history. There's a reason that they're out in the outside looking in and that the Bay Area market doesn't bring what it would comparatively to some of the other major markets. They um, don't have a lot of enthusiasm for their teams right now. And you're talking about hoping that Sanford and Cal add football value for the next six or seven years so that you can maybe get some momentum as the other conferences, all of which, the ACC, the, not the ACC, the SEC, Big Ten, and Big 12 will have another television deal before you're even market again. So two deals, in fact, more than likely for everybody else. And so Cal and Stanford, especially in this five- to seven-year window, don't add that much football value or they don't look like they're about to. So that's not something that's going to make everybody happy when you're going to get you know is is the cal versus unc game gonna knock your ratings up all that high it's it's probably not 
I think they're as valuable as the TV networks decide that they are. Yeah. You know, and that, and so it, how much is somebody willing to pay for those teams? I, I don't think it's necessarily anything that they've done. I know you speak to fan apathy uh, or just a lack of passion compared to other places, and I think that was very indicative with what all the, happened with the Big 12. Uh, I think that's going to be a pleasant thing for those four schools that they're going to see, like, how fired up people get in Stillwater and Ames and Manhattan and elsewhere, Lubbock, for – uh, for these games, I think it's going to be a little bit of a departure um, other than when they maybe played Oregon or Washington or something. Um, but, yeah, I think um, it, it's all about what the TV networks say. And, um, you know, on the surface, it doesn't appear that they, they add, you know, the amount that would be needed to, again, make it whole and make everybody happy and fat at the table. Unless just like Amazon swooped in and is like, we'd love to have, you know, I, I don't know. I, but I don't see – with strings uh, tightening and purses all around the country, why these two would suddenly make it somebody want to open up their pocketbooks for a conference that's under contract, you know, for, for quite a while. But I know expansion can open that up. So, yeah, I mean, what is the TV network willing to offer? That's their value. Yeah. Three, letting Notre Dame have too much influence. And, I, and we talked about this earlier in the show. And, I, and, like, I'm not trying to come down to Notre Dame on this, except for the fact that, look, they could solve the problem the ACC is having in one fell swoop. So, I just think because Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame feel that Stanford and Cal should be in, you shouldn't just go, okay, sure, because you think so, we're going to do it, because, again, they're going to be all right. Notre Dame's going to be all right. So you saying, like, I really feel bad that these two great academic institutions are not going to have a place, uh, you know, a high-profile place for their sports, well, yeah, that sucks, but they're also kind of their A, of their own doing, and B, Notre Dame, you can solve the problem, and if the if the condition was if – Cal and Stanford join, we're in, then I think the ACC should do that deal, but that's not going to be the case. Yeah, I've, I've made myself clear here. I understand their power. It's not like I don't think they have it that they had 25 or 30 years ago, but they still have it, and everybody would want them in their conference. But it's interesting to me that they have clout in a sport which they're not a part of in a conference who they are a part of in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I get why they have club. I mean, it is Notre Dame, and your your key to uh, making everybody fat and happy would be to get them to join in football. That's where your influx of $80 million or so is going to come in, and all of a sudden maybe you can sit there and tell Florida State, hey, uh, the Irish are coming with Cal and Stanford, and we got $100 million new money on the table. And, you know, then, hey, SMU's not paying – you know, there's – Notre Dame changes the entire landscape uh, mm-hmm. in one fell swoop. And so, yeah, to your point, Paul, they could solve this. They're the ones that have been the most outspoken about wanting those two teams in. And it sounds like they want to have their cake and eat it too. And I know it's like, well, why should anybody let them? Well, they've been letting them do it for years. Mm-hmm. So why is it changing now? Um, but, yeah, I mean, if they really want it that badly, then they'd have to, you know, in some ways sacrifice. And no, they'd have to sacrifice their independence to ensure it. Um, but first, you're going to try to not do that and see what happens. Like, what if they don't do it, and then tomorrow the ACC gets together and decides, you know what, we've flipped so-and-so's mind since the other night and so-and-so's mind since the other night, and now we have the votes. Sorry, Florida State and Clemson or whoever. Um, that's still a possibility until it's not. Yeah. And then once that's not a possibility, if they meet tomorrow and there's still, like, no traction, you know, then you go, all right, Notre Dame, how badly do you want them? But right now I don't think you have to do that uh, to ensure it. There's still a chance you can – cannot well, do that and still get your way. And the reason I said that Notre Dame could solve it, I think that the only school that could make ESPN open up a 13-year contract oh, agreement yeah. would be Notre Dame, whose contract is coming up. Right. So yeah. because Notre Dame's contract is coming up and they can, you know, 
open that up, I think ESPN would have been like, okay, well, now there's a new player at the table. Sure. So that's the only thing. That's why Notre Dame could solve it. But, I'm just saying from a standpoint yeah. of a – they don't have to necessarily like. Let's see. Maybe Stanford Cal get in anyways. Yeah. And then you know, but if they don't, and it's clearly a brick wall, then you know, Notre Dame. How badly do you want this? Yeah. But does that solve again the Florida State discontent? You know, how much money are we talking? And, and that's the part that's still uh, far bigger than you know where the Cardinal or the the Golden Bears play. Look, I, I do think, and if Notre Dame were to join the ACC, if you have a top four in your conference historically, and I'm not talking about right now. Like, I mean, one of them is right now. The others are, are more historic. But your top four are Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame, and and Miami. And then you throw in North Carolina and basketball and all the other things that you can do. I think that's as a heavy hitter top four as you can as you can make, um, you know, with, with history behind them. With who's so, available. With who's available, available yeah. 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 So that would be a thing. Again, they could solve it. They're not going to but they could number two cross-country travel i just i think that miami is is one i don't think that would would really want to go for this and that that this is the thing that if they do it i think this is the conference that will start like maybe moving forward of eventually all right look we can't keep doing it can be fine for football. You know, Miami and Stanford only play once every, like, three years probably in the most optimistic, and everybody and all that would rotate through. But, again, it would be so exhausting because it's not even like the Big Ten where you can stop in the middle. The middle is Louisville, which is not really that far west of most things. So I think that's probably what's going to undo this because you're having to go to – you know, uh, 12 schools have to approve this of the 15, and you're going to 15 schools, and you're saying, okay, Boston College, how much do you want to spend on sending your, your Olympic sports across the country? It, it's That's the thing I think that will – that issue will probably be united across the board for all 15 of them, how many of them are willing to do it or not. I think that's the one, to me, the crux of the issue that would, that would maybe be able to swing some people on the fence well, that – that are intending to stay in the ACC. One of the questions I'm going to ask Gloria Navarez tomorrow, one of them we will, is the regionality of the Olympic sports. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of what you're talking about, too. Yeah. I just don't, like, I don't see Miami and, um, and Bay Area athletes being thrilled about that flight. That is a, that is a, Syracuse, too. Just a ball breaker of a flight. Number one, schools that aren't in it for the long haul. Says the other thing is that you can say all these things and I can get to that, but ultimately the ACC has at least one school and probably more that aren't thinking about the long-term health of this conference. They're thinking about the long-term health of their institution. And you saw it in the Pac-12, you saw it in the Big 12, you've seen everywhere there was realignment. The schools that want to leave don't care about the place they're in. They care about the place they're going because the place they're going can help them more. So if you have schools that aren't really, their hearts aren't in this thing, then that's going to be a bigger obstacle that you may never be able to overcome because USC and UCLA weren't in it, especially USC. Their heart wasn't in the Pac-12 anymore. That's why it was over. Colorado's heart wasn't in the Pac-12 anymore. That's why they left. Texas and Oklahoma, their heart wasn't in the Big 12 anymore. That's yeah, why they left. But their heart wasn't in it because the money wasn't exactly. enough. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, Florida State's have been very clear about their intentions. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd have to pull Notre Dame to even feel like that's salvageable and even still 
I'd need more details on what numbers we're talking about that Notre Dame would bring to see how salvageable that would really be. So without Notre Dame in the equation, it's a non-conversation to me. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no long-term future other than the long-term future dictated by the TV contract that they are currently uh, probably billing hours and hours and hours and hours of time uh, with lawyers looking through those contracts. As their AD said a, a week or so ago, they've poured through the grant of rights and what all options are out there on the table. So, yeah, I I mean, outside of Notre Dame, maybe that would slow things down, but I just don't see where Florida State, uh, amongst the, the others, uh, is satisfied with being, you know, sticking around for another 13 years and then looking at what college football looks like by that point. That's, that's hard to imagine. Elias Gray, I recall complaints about traveling to Missouri from Olympic <laughs> sports athletes at Tennessee. I can't imagine <laughs> Oregon Rutgers and feel there's going to be internal pressure at various uniforms. Eli Drinkwitz had some pretty good comments about that uh, in the last few days. Well, there's been various articles, and uh, I don't know, I've seen it quite a bit, of you know this eventually, you know, there's always the whole, well, eventually it turns into the Super League. And, and I don't know, I feel about 10 years' worth of realignments happened in the last two years uh, it's all, all gone much faster than anybody could have anticipated, really. But I, I think that that's where you look next is, all right, is football its sole property? And then everything else goes back to being more college sports or men's basketball. Does that join it? And they're separate and they're special in their own right. And then everything else is more of like kind of what we know now. That could be where we go. That's the only way really to think of how they could fix Rutgers versus Oregon playing softball on a Tuesday night where they're flying across country. Beyond that, I don't know how you solve it other than just gutting your way through it and and dealing with it for the money. All right, so uh, somebody's been working overtime. What the hell with this NFL gambling uh, bot that's popping up on our show? I don't know. Well, I mean, we, somebody's doing a good job hey, of it. We, I mean, we a mentioned a of them. Yeah, we mentioned gambling. Two seconds, and then... It's almost like when you pick after. up your phone, you've been on there the night before ordering something online, and the next day you wake up, and it's, it's like the first thing in your feed. It's it's all spam, and it's all bad, but it's better than the first thing oh, no. we used to no, get. The first few I'll months. take yeah. this yeah. Over, over the other stuff. Well, Emery never blocked those. He always was like in the middle of it. Emery blocked he those. He's like, man, I'm... <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit busy. Well, Speaking they, of which. Yeah, we had to send one of his Russian mail-order brides back, which yeah. was really hard. He was mad about that. Yeah, so was the mail-order bride. Can't and, live in the studio, sorry. <laughs> speaking of which, Garrett left a little bit early. His son and uh, his children have the meet-the-teacher night. Uh, and so, Emery Winter, how about – can you even turn on your own mic? We, yeah, I can do that. How are you – are you good? I mean, I, is this a nerve-wracking thing, knowing that Paul and Craig will jump down your throat <laughs> if you make a mistake? Yeah, I was a little nervous during the Mickey segment, but I think we're the nerves have calmed now. I think we're good. He it, did he did Garrett just get Wally pipped? Emery <laughs> says no. No, Emery goes. Wait a minute, what Wally pipped me. Yeah, <laughs> who who replaced him? Was it the, Lou Gehrig? Yeah, Lou Gehrig, the great Lou Gehrig. All right, uh, we'll get to this tomorrow. Stuart Mandel today put up a note about. Um, really about college athletics and, and the moves. And the and we'll get to that with one of the things tomorrow, along with Gloria Navarre as the commissioner of the uh, Mountain West Conference and also much more. Craig, good? Everything good? Thank you very much, Paul. Everything good? Thank you to our great sponsors. Tonight at 1030 on the CW locally, uh, we'll have – Uh, 365 Sports tonight, and then also back at it again tomorrow. We appreciate you for being a part of it. Uh, uh, The the chat room, the text line, uh, direct messages to us when you include us in 
uh, attaches to your tweets like Scotty B did earlier with a story to make sure we knew about it. Even if we do, we appreciate that. I'm David Smoke. Have a great night. This is 365 Sports.
Oh, all right. That's fine. Let me run. I'm going to go ahead and type it out. Don't forget to blow out that candle. The what? Oh, that's right. Okay, let me let me write this out, Emery. We're good. I'm good. I'm I'm actually kind of out of whack here. No, no, we were just talking. So you uh, you actually did a good job, man. What was the last one? Okay, Craig Smoke, Paul, Catalina, and I join me. Join David Smoke, excuse me, on the gambling probe investigation that continues to rattle, uh, rattle Iowa State and Iowa. Okay. I would be more not rattle. What's the word there? I'm like the gambling investigation that can you rock? All right, ready? A recording. Three, two. Three, two, one. Hope you've had a great day. This is 365 Sports Tonight on the CW and also brought to you by Rooftop Innovations. And tonight, longtime broadcaster Chuck Cooperstein looking back on last Friday with all the realignment chaos and where it ranks historically in the history of historically in the history, stupid fuck. All right, erase that part. Send them that one. Three, two, one. Hope you've had a great Thursday. This is 365 Sports Tonight of the CW, presented by Rooftop Innovations. And longtime broadcaster Chuck Cooper seen on where he ranks last Friday with all that realignment chaos involving the Pac-12, Big Ten, and Big 12. 
Hope you've had a great Thursday. 365 Sports tonight on the CW. And tonight, longtime broadcaster Chuck Cooperstein, where he ranks last Friday in the realignment chaos involving the Pac-12, Big Ten, and also the Big 12, when it comes to the history of college athletics. Speaking of that, Max Olson, TheAthletic.com, with an article on the backstories that led up to all of what happened last week. And then Taylor McCarg of ESPN on what is the installation process for an offense in August in college football as they get ready for the opening games in early September. And Craig Smoke, Paul Catalina, and I, we discuss... It's not that. It's and me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Emery. We're going to be here for an hour. Three, two, and one. Tonight on 365 Sports Tonight, right here on the CW with longtime broadcaster Chuck Cooperstein and where he ranks last Friday with all the realignment chaos in college athletics history. Taylor McCarg of ESPN on how a team in the offense starts to install what they need, getting ready for their first games in September. Max Olson, TheAthletic.com, with backstories on all the realignment that occurred last week, including some juicy tidbits there and... Craig Smoke, Paul Catalina, join me as we look at the probe, the investigation and gambling that's rocking the football programs at Iowa State and Iowa. This is 365 Sports Tonight, presented by Rooftop Innovations. We put your roof above everything else. Three, two, one. We're back at it again tomorrow. We're back at it again tomorrow, 365 Sports Tonight on the CW, every weeknight at 1030, brought to you by Rooftop Innovations. We'll see you then. Good?